The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. are now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is fortunately not here he's working but he's he's missed all of our our fun commentaries lately but maybe we'll, maybe we'll get him on for the, the next one the best one as we like to call it out now is a film podcast where abe and i discuss new movies weekly however every now and then i have these special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different and this is one of our fun commentary tracks it is april 2021 and we are continuing our deep dive into the world of Hannibal Lecter. We've talked about Manhunter. We spoke during the Silence of the Labs, and we chowed down with Hannibal. So now we're here with Red Dragon, the remake of Red Dragon, the novel, but not technically a remake of Manhunter, the movie, but still topping that story. That's a lot of backstory that wasn't needed, but there it is. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Joining me to discuss Brett Ratner's Red Dragon, we have host of The Brandon Peters Show, He's had disadvantages, one being that he's insane. It's Brandon Peters. We already talked about this story, Aaron. Do you see? But now with Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> also joining us from Why So Blue, his first job was writing at the National Tatler. It's Peter Paris. Hey, everybody. And from Forbes, keeping it tight like a sick tiger, it's Scott Mendelson. 30 more days till Hannibal Rising. 30 more days till <laughs> Hannibal Rising. <laughs> it's all leading up to that, but for now... It's all <laughs> we are we are going on with, with with this movie. How are you guys all doing this evening? I'm doing well. Fantastic. I'm doing good. I actually we'll get into Red Dragon, but I really want to watch Hannibal uh lately. Well, you, you have to watch it twice. I know I'm behind. <laughs> I already did it. Uh, well, okay, so yeah, we are going to talk about Red Dragon right now. This is the plan. We're gonna we all have the movie currently paused at ten seconds in, and on the sound of go, I'm gonna press. We're all gonna press play and talk about the movie Red Dragon. If you plan to follow along with us, just fast, you know, put it up to ten seconds into the movie. It's where like the Universal logo is kind of starting to form. Press play and listen to this pot. You get you got it all set. You'll be listening to us in sync. If you're just listening to Red Dragon to listen to us talk about Red Dragon, cool. You're set. You're good to go. Um, real quick before we start this, I am aware, I think we, we are all aware that Brett Radner is in a bit of a bind as far as his <laughs> public uh, status goes, and we are not certainly minimizing the, de- the the things that have gone on with his life. That's not really the purpose of this commentary. We're talking about a movie he already made, but just know, yeah, we're not sitting here like championing Brett Radner. We're just talking about this movie as a part of a that happens to be a part of this set of comment of movie commentary tracks that we're currently doing. Just want to throw that unless, out there. <laughs> unless it's Hercules, Hercules kind of rocks. Uh, we'll talk about other Brett Ratner joints. <laughs> but, as far, but as far as Brett Ratner, the man, that's, yes. that's really not the concentration of this commentary track. Um, so yeah, now we're going to talk about red dragon. So everybody grab your favorite, get, grab your cocktail shrimp and your favorite sauce. And let's get ready for red dragon. All right. So on the, sound, on the sound of go, we're all going to press play three, two, one, Go. So we are now here for Film Completionist Nerd, the movie. 
So here we go with Red Dragon. We've talked about these films. We've talked about this exact story. Here's the Dino De Laurentiis logo, by the way, which is just, it looks great. <laughs> it's a really nice logo. <laughs> um, I guess we'll just get into this the way we do. When did we see Red Dragon and what did we think these first times? Let's start with Peter. Peter, when did you first see Red Dragon? Uh, is this 2007? I'm trying to think. What Three. Year is- this, is 2000, this is 2002. 2002. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I saw it. Uh, I saw it in theaters. I saw it opening weekend. Um, and I had not seen it since then until rewatching it this week because I wanted to watch it with the audio mm-hmm. uh, for this podcast. But yes, I've only seen it twice. Had you seen Manhunter before this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw Manhunter probably in college or something like in the nineties. Yeah. 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 I had absolutely seen Manhunter before. Yeah, you weren't on our manager commentary. That's why I'm asking you. So, so the listeners are those keeping up with the continuity of these very important commentary tracks are aware of where we are in status. Brandon, how about you? Theater, uh, 2002, I think opening weekend when it came out. Scott, uh, opening night, October 2002. Uh, I genuinely enjoyed it. Uh, I, you know, obviously it's not as artistically specific as Manhunter, but I thought it was a solid adaptation of a strong book with a ridiculously good cast. And it does what did what I are often does, which is just cast the best actors you can possibly get away with and mostly stands out of their way. As before I get to mine, I just real quick, we just watched Anthony Hopkins, like feel like he's getting tortured by watching a poor performance of a very important opera piece. (laughs) (laughs) Just seeing him wince. It's very fun. Also fun. The ponytail that Anthony Hopkins rocking this (laughs) Just a weird detail. (laughs) He was a free man. He's like, this is is the style. I was like, oh yeah, he looks younger. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> look, yeah, at like that, that. look at that youth that, that younger man energy that he's bringing out there he's a real russell crowe in the mummy or sorry tom cruise in the mummy <laughs> compared to russell crowe i'd like um, to say the four of us i i think i'm the only person who has a ponytail right now and i i'd love to say i was doing it for red for this red dragon commentary well if it came off tomorrow then yes you were <laughs> <laughs> here's the um, origin story of lex luther's mom <laughs> Oh, that's who that is. Yeah. I was like, yeah. um, as has been the case, I saw this movie with my mom. Um, I did not see Hannibal in theaters. So this was my first, I'm seeing a Hannibal Lecter movie in the theater um, experience. And yeah, like I had seen Manhunter fairly recently at that point. So it was like watching this was like, okay, this is interesting as far as, I recognize a lot of this story already and now I'm watching it again with this like set of actors that I'm obviously I'm more familiar with as the person with the age that I'm at. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Edward Orton, all this. Um, and I, I enjoyed the movie well enough. Like Scott said, like it works fine as a kind of like, Hey, you have a good cast. You have decent production values, what have you. It's doing its thing. Yes. Manhunt. We'll talk about the comparisons, but like, as far as watching, you know, this kind of version of the movie. I was, you know, I was into it. I was into it well enough. I think, uh, I, I think it's interesting, like um, this to me, and I know we can really dive into this more, but like Manhunter is a movie about, you know, Will Graham uh, trying to take down the tooth fairy. And he just happens to get help from this, you know, person named Hannibal Lecter. This it's like the whole structure. Cause I haven't read red dragon, but like, 
I, I assume this opening is not a part of the book. This, yeah, Brandon, nope. You know, this, this opening yeah. is made so that we get to, mm-hmm. we get to Hopkins fast. I'm assuming that's what it is. Yeah. This is very much a film. That's like, we, we need to capitalize on the fact that Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal Lecter is box office dynamite. Mm-hmm. So we're going to throw in as much Lecter as we can into this story. That's very Lecter free. Uh, so yeah, you have this scene, you have more involvement of him in the various uh, Will Graham, uh, Hannibal Lecter, I guess partner scenes. I don't know, not, right. really, well, not really interrogations. Hannibal uh, Lecter of the books was a progression. It was like a little yeah. bit here, a little more here, and then the third one's all about him. Well, when you're doing the movies, you've gone like doot doot doot, and then after Hannibal, you go backward in time, and you're going back to a book that didn't have him that much and wanting him to be there. And then as we as we all know, Hannibal was even bigger than the Hopkins. So we just got a straight movie about Hannibal without Hopkins in it at all, which we'll talk okay. about next month. Uh, but yeah, this scene is wholly invented. And I mean, as far as you know, looking at a movie that's trying to, you know, not only adapt the story, but I even though it was a box office flop, or at least not a big hit, distance itself from a film that was recognized as far as its artistic quality. So you need to do different kinds of things, and you have Anthony Hopkins and you have this cast. Use them as much as you can, seems to be the logic, which makes sense. I mean, I, I get that. Uh, that said, do we like this opening sequence? I think it's fun. And I yeah, think it's I a like way it. to, you know, again, give Hannibal Lecter more screen time without overwhelming the core story, which comparatively is Hannibal like. Yeah. I um, mean, and yeah, it's something that we don't need to see, but on its own, it's, it's fine. It's fun. It helps with. Uh, Norton's Will Graham and his Hannibal Lecture because there's I mean this Will Graham isn't like there's there's no danger to this Will Graham um, that Norton plays which is strange because Norton especially here is a one of the best actors you could get uh, at the time and such a and used to playing like intense kind of roles and there's something just safe about him here compared to what, you know, what Peterson's giving is like a loose kind of, kind of a loose, uh, strange guy, kind of unpredictable. It's got this weird sense that you don't know if he's going to end up drowning himself into the mind of a killer. This guy's just solving. He might as well be a cop. I mean, he's just solving the mystery in comparison. It, It makes me wonder how deliberate this, like, I don't see it. I mean, I don't see Edward Norton as one that phones in his performances. That said, we very much know he likes to be involved in the films that he's in mm-hmm. and has certain <laughs> attitudes towards the studios and what have you. But I don't think that ever really comes out on screen. Like Italian no. Job is the big example of that. Italian Job's a movie where he made the score and Paramount's like, we need you to do another movie. And he- He's like, fine. And so he does a tally job and he refuses to do any press for it. But I don't think, and that's, that's one of the times where I don't think he's necessarily that good in that movie, but I don't think he's phoning things in necessarily. This movie. No, I agree. This movie, I do think he, I, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's phoning it at all. No, he, but, but I do, I wonder what, to what you're saying, Brandon, as far as how deliberate his choices are, as far as how intense to make this version of Will Graham. Do you think it's a, a choice to kind of steer away from what William Peterson was doing, which would make sense to me. Or right. do you think just that this is the version that he decided to deliver? Well, it's also a combination of Ratner's direction with it too, uh, being also sure. very safe um, because I'm sure De Laurentiis is like, do not effing do Manhunter again and make it, make it as much like this is visually trying to ape 
Silence of the Lambs to make it look like they go together, even though it's shot in a different aspect ratio. And but shot by Dante Spinelli. Or no, we'll attack Fuga Boda. Sorry, no, I was thinking Silence of the Lambs. No, I'm right. Yeah, Dante. Yeah. But like color timing, like just the overall like look of it, kind of the same. Oh, and... for sure. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's very warm. This, but well, mm-hmm. it's more like silence. But silence is kind of cold. But compared to Manhunter, and this is a movie that's supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be taking place in the 1980s. Yet feels rather modern. Yeah, there's no there's, there's nothing. Rarely, that, I yeah. watch having watched this again recently, similar to Peter. I you know I assume all of us to prepare for this commentary. Mm-hmm. I I was trying to I had to remind myself that it's supposed to be set in the past, but it's right. like. Even it feels clo- 2002. Even, like, even the clothing doesn't really. Right. Not that I need people to have like Flock of Seagulls haircuts and everything, but I mean, it doesn't really like go. It's not really going for it. A lo- local doctor wounded. It's 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 the it's the Wonder Woman 84 of uh, 80s representation. Right. <laughs> I will say that um, I, I think that for the kind of movie that I think Ratner and and also it's Ted Talley, right? Who also wrote, who Ted did Talley adapted this screen, the, the mm-hmm. book, right. this movie, it, uh, silence the limbs. Yeah. I do think that hiring Edward Norton, who at this point is a, you know, he's a bank. I mean, he's like a, not a huge star, but he's a bankable, like bleeding man. He's in a, he's in this good place. Yeah. If you see Edward Norton's yeah. name on it, it's you're like, Oh, I got to see that movie. Like it's probably an interesting, you know, it might not be a big movie, but for a film person, he's like, in like a Dustin Hoffman zone where he's not quite, yeah, like, I can see you know, that. or the seventies, but he's in this it's like, a mark of quality. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Like the score even like that was, Danny movie, Elfman. yeah. Where he <laughs> had an interest. He had an interesting I never role in the that. score of the movie. I'm just saying Danny Elfman because he did the score for this movie. <laughs> did I say I that right? When that credit went up, uh, it was, or, it was uh, it's coming up right now. I okay. I mean, he had, you know, oh. such great bangers, like keeping the faith, you know, the time. <laughs> But I, I mean, I, oh, you know, keeping the faith that might go against what, what I'm about to say, but I, I, I feel like Edward Norton as an actor is a reactive actor. He is not a, if you hide, which is very different than William Peterson. Like it's that's, like, that, that's fair to keeping the faith. Cause Ben Stiller is like the pro. Oh yeah, you're ben, right. I guess Ben, ben Stiller, Stiller is more the lead character. Than yeah. He has, he has, he has yeah. more of the arc of that movie. Yeah. I was tossing that in for shits and giggles. I, I mean, yeah. we're talking American history X fight club at this point. <laughs> Death to Smoochie was around this. It, Death to Smoochie in the, yeah. that's 2002. Yeah. That's this year. Yeah. Yeah. Primal, of course, Primal Fear, which launched him. was Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That was 96. Yeah, but the, the 2002 is a big year for Nord because it's this Death of Smoochie, which flops, and uh, 25th Hour, which oh, yeah. um, which he, as I learned, he used, basically used all the money he made on this movie to help fund 25th Hour. Yeah, which is which oh. goes into where I don't think it's necessarily phoning it in, but it's you know his motivations are not. I don't think you know it's not like I've always wanted to make a remake of Red Dragon (laughs) compared to I'd really like to make this engrossing study of post 9-11 New York with Spike Lee. It seems like his motivations are a little clear. Also, which here, like, he's the same guy as he was in the opening scene now. Like, it doesn't feel like any trauma or any like regret like yeah he's gonna get back on the job. Like, Yeah, he's not like um, Yancey's favorite Hugh Dancy in the Hannibal TV show. Right. Well, I think (laughs) I think Hugh Dancy's I, I don't get oh, I, think I, he's I, fine, I never but, get yeah. why you're trying to make a movie that's like you know resemble a Silence of the Lambs, but you don't bring Scott Glenn back. Yeah, that was, I mean, yeah, Scott Glenn. He, he was busy. Inexcusable. He was busy. Then you wait. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, for what you're trying to do for this film, you wait. You know, because yeah. I mean, 
you think of the, the three or four or five main characters of Sons of Lambs, obviously Clarice is not involved, but you've got you know, Lecter, you've got you've got Barney, you've got Lecter, you've got Chilton, you've Chilton. got uh, and you've got uh, uh, God, I forgot his name. This character, Jack, Jack Crawford. It's like, why? Anyway, it just, it's always baffled me. Well, then, and I, Scott Glenn has well, no oh. movies in 2002 and just a TV movie in 2003. So he just said no. Yeah. It was basically my guess. At this right. And, and it's not, I mean, you got Harvey Keitel that's great, but all you're asking from him is, can you just give us a mild Harvey Keitel performance? And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. sure. Like, maybe that's part of what you guys were talking about with Norton is that in this film where Lecter is a bit more melodramatic over the top than he was in Manhunter and I would argue Ray Fine's Tooth Fairy is more over the top than uh, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan in Manhunter. You have, by comparison, you have a a, a uh, Will Graham that's more subdued, more of the conventional straight man. Well, in you know Manhunter, frankly, especially rewatching it with you guys a couple months ago, you know it's a a, a it's a I don't want to say over the top, but it's a very it's not a subtle screen performance at all. Um. And for much of Manhunter, again, it's the Will Graham story. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone else is just you know seasoning. Um, and it's in this film, I thought it's almost inverted, where Will Graham is the clothesline in which to hang everything else. Yeah, and I mean, like William Peterson, in the last one could, I mean, just fully captivate you with just a scene with him by himself. Here, yeah. not not so much. And Edward Norton's an actor you would think could possibly do that. Um, and I don't know what I don't know if I, I depend on him, but his performance isn't really giving. Like I mean, it's fine. It's not like a it's a bad performance, but it's nothing interesting. It's kind of it's kind of pedestrian for Norton, kind of pedestrian for what Will Graham is in the book. And you know, Ratner's just not taking chances. They're just merely trying to bring this book accurately to life. I mean. It's- I guess I feel like in, in Manhunter, we're, I feel like we're supposed to always wonder if if Peterson's version of Will Graham is always sort of on the edge. And it's like, what's mm-hmm. what's different about a serial killer and this guy? Like, And that's supposed to sort of be like what's captivating about the narrative with that character. But because they want to use Anthony Hopkins in this movie... I guess this version of Graham has to be more passive, has to be more normal because we we kind of have to go, oh, well, he needs Hannibal Lecter in order to solve this case, which is a different, yeah, it's a, I'm not necessarily saying it's good or bad, but I mean, that is a very different decision, I guess. Um, in, this, in that sense, it's actually very similar to his work in The Incredible Hulk in the sense that The Incredible Hulk was very much an attempt to use, to retell that IP in a more conventional less, you know, frankly, artistic, you know, more crowd-pleasing commercial fashion compared to Angley's Hulk in that case. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, um, and I, I'm sure that's just a weird coincidence, but in the same way that, you know, if we're playing SAT questions, you know, Hulk is the Incredible Hulk as Manhunter is to Red Dragon as Superman Returns is to Man of Steel. Um, and remember, Josh Whedon showed him the door because he was a problematic person to have on. <laughs> We're not getting into that. Um, but, but no, I, I do think the reason that he comes off as a, a bit less of a presence is that he is 
often being overpowered by the more, you know, the, 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 the jazzier supporting characters, mm-hmm. which was not yeah. the case in the first film or the previous film, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, and they, and like here, the searching scenes, they ground it so much. Like the house is just not as interesting to go through and search as well as that. Yes. One in the, and just the way he shoots it is just not as captivating. It's, it's creepy in Manhunter, like really kind of unnerving, scary because I don't, I don't know. It's just, there's a, there's a, there's a glossiness to this because it's yeah. a big universal studio film that cost $78 million apparently. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a pretty penny for a movie like this. And Starring you can, Sir Anthony Hopkins is handling And that, that said, yes, you have like, you know, eight people above the credits. So yeah, I can right. understand where the budget's going at this point, but <laughs> in this regard, um, it is a, you know, we've talked, it's funny. We've talked about seven, you know, and Manhunter now in silence of the land. We've talked about these, you know, very, you know, uh, inspiring serial killer thrillers that became more of a popularity throughout the decade. So now we're at this kind of near logical end point as far as we've back to where we kind of started. I know where there's more around this time frame to come from here, like, like Suspect Zero and Taking Lives or whatnot, which are, you know, not good movies anyway. But regardless, we, we, you know, we, we're almost rounding full circle. And yeah, the things that made those movies extreme and dangerous and edgy now this is just you know another day in the week uh which goes for a lot of genres that get you know have really interesting starts and then get exploited over and over again and yeah they're just another one of these i'm and, and, and I I mean, the answer to sorry so are there i said i apologize i didn't interrupt you i'll let you finish i was just gonna say the other thing is obviously we talked about movies that are directed by jonathan demi michael mann and david fincher this is film directed by brett ratner a director film wise at least I think I like more of his movies than I don't, um, but it's not because of the amazing depth he's able to bring to his visual style. It's because he just makes entertaining schlock for the most part, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily in terms of, you know, movies for the sake of movies. Um, I mean, no, being a music video director, you'd think he'd have some more punch and just... I mean, uh, even his music videos compared to, I don't know, Hype Williams or Mick G. Mm-hmm. there's not a lot there. <laughs> like I know what you're saying. Yes. Or David Fincher for mm-hmm. that matter. I know what you're saying. Yes. Vig- music video directors tend to have a lot of visual oomph behind them. And I, I don't know if the, the, few, the few that I've seen of Brett Ratner's comparatively, it's not a lot going on in some of these videos. <laughs> I do think that his films are, and from what little I've heard him speak, you know, in supplemental materials or what have you. Well, he, hates, he, hates, he hates rehearsal. We know that. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very old-fashioned. And they're very, you know, uh, big studio, 1970s, early 80s. A lot of them almost feel like they're edited by hand. You know, as opposed to, like, not a computer. Um, there's a certain craft. And I think he's someone that's very aware of his, perhaps, his artistic limitations, and makes a point to compensate by just getting the best people that, that are willing to take the job and saying yes to the right questions. And that's why, um, I mean, that's why you hire him for certain, that's, I mean, yeah. that's why you, you know, he's a hack for a reason. It's because <laughs> you hire him because he gets the job done, he shoots quick, and he gets under budget. That's why you get him to do yeah. X3, The Last Stand, in under a year because Matthew Vaughn dropped out. He's like, all right. <laughs> and, and Brian Singer dropped out. It's <laughs> like, okay, let's get Ratner in here. And yeah, you know what he did? He delivered a movie that made a bunch of money like they intended it to. <laughs> like it, it did the job for what they're looking for. Um, That's the kind of guy he is for these movies. And I do know in the pre-release, he made a point to mention that he was, you know, he didn't want the film to be filled with 
aggressively graphic violence. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the more, you know, the only arguably grotesque scenes in the movie. It's a really quick, blinking you minute flashback to the wife being raped and murdered. Um, but other, you know, compared to, you know, more like Hitchcock, where it's what you don't see with what everybody says. But still, this, you know, this is certainly not as macabre as Animal. And I think that was very intentional, partially because this is a more conventional police procedural in a way that Manager was as well. well it, it's interesting, though, because the preceding, the preceding film of this was Hannibal, a film that yeah. very much was the most grotesque version of Hannibal. So yes. it's like we went backwards for some reason. We went from Ray Liotta's brain to glimpses oh, yeah. of bad stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I think there's often an attempt, and maybe it's just about, you know, there is a certain perception that, oh, we're more artistic because we didn't revel in graphic violence. You know, there's certain, I remember, you know, when Saw 5 came out, which is not one of the best Saw movies, one of the selling points was that they toned down the violence as if that was a mark of respectability. Um, they also cast Scott Patterson as the lead in that movie, but... Which well, is violence yeah. in its own way. <laughs> um, I actually saw, it was like, they're having a Saw marathon like HBO or something. I like, I... I, I like turned off a movie and then like went to the TV and it was like saw was on. It was like, and I just sat there for whatever reason, since I don't generally like these movies, but I just sat there like, I guess I'm watching saw now for like 20 minutes before I like moved on. <laughs> <or> something. <laughs> and I say that it's more like I'm on my phone and I guess saws on in the background, whatever. Uh, but it's like, Oh yeah, Scott Patterson, what a choice. Um, you know, it, 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 the, yeah, uh, that the, you're tied the the restraint of violence and stuff does help when it does come in. Cause there's the, part later where he shoots the manager of the store in the head and it's just like oh yeah. shit like it yeah, really, I mean, when it when it wants to be r-rated it gets r-rated like it doesn't yeah. you know, it really or ray finds ass yes but it i mean it works as a it works in a way where it's like yes adult drama that came out this week i want now yeah. with that said anthony hopkins ray fought you got a lot of very talented people there's an october release um as opposed to the early or late winter releases of the other two movies do you, do you think there is a notion that universal's like well we have this back maybe we can get like Anthony Hopkins a supporting actor nomination or something like that do you ever think there was a prestige aspect to this i think they were going for halloween and the, the ring stole their thunder ah mm-hmm. oh yeah when did the ring come out is that september uh no right around the same time as this i believe mm. like a week after uh, i think it went limited i mean what well, was limited back there was like 1500 screens I remember in mid-October, yeah. and then went wide on Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because right, I remember the ring was like it. It was like it was. A, yeah, it was a leggy son of a gun. And like that was, they were doing that more then too, with like the yeah. kind of half the theaters thing before they like went wider. Here's sleepy. Yeah, hunk. the ring was earlier. <laughs> they would do that with paranormal activity earlier. Um, and then they did that. It's perfect. You know, classic horror film. Um, well, even paranormal. <laughs> even paranormal. That was like. They they just they, was like building building. They, building. Yeah, they, yeah, that yeah. was that was an upward trajectory as opposed to like half the theaters like and then more of the um, theaters. Here's Bill Duke's one scene in this movie. <laughs> as um, I believe it's just like police chief or it's like his case credited. Yeah, police chief. That's his credited name in this movie. It's interesting that you're saying that the ring basically overshadowed Red Dragon around the same time. Because speaking of, I'm assuming. Gore Verbinski did music videos. Like Verbinski is a very he's he's high style, it's very deliberate style. in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, very conscious of like how he uses the camera and color and everything. Like, huh, that's interesting. It, well, it's also it's also a case of you know back in the old days, 
something new and exciting, you know, uh, uh, stealing the thunder of something old, something expected, something that right. was cashing in on something that itself was once new and unique. And you could make a certain case, I think Aaron was mentioning this earlier, that the entire modern serial killer movie cycle was basically from a Sansa the Lambs to Red Dragon. Uh, because in a couple of years, you'd have the first Saw movie, which kind of sort of took the place of these serial killer movies. Well, like before, before that, though, because Peter, you just brought this up, The Ring. It's the Japanese horrors that come in for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They, well, they come um, in, and then it's the, like, the, it's both the, yeah, the, yeah. Tor- the, um, the torture I mean, horror terms, in, and the found footage stuff. For in terms of, of serial killer melodramas, you have this, you have the Saw films, and then Criminal Minds on CBS, and that basically fills that gap entirely for people that like these kind of, you know, this kind of film slash promise. Um, I, I'm excited seeing Bill Duke just because they announced Deep Cover for Criterion today. Heck yeah, so good for you. <laughs> just coming in July. <laughs> Verbinski does have a few music videos, by the way, Peter. You're not wrong. Before he, uh, I mean, it, it would make sense. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly, most directors like, right. <laughs> like it's pretty. Like, unless you're like I mean, from Mumblecore, you you probably did a music <laughs> video. <laughs> I mean, beyond although you know beyond the, you're right. You know, Japanese horror um, was starting to kind of gain a reputation in the States and stuff. The other thing could honestly just be more a demographic thing. This movie, like you guys had said, this is clearly made for like more a, uh, you know, adult, adults, adults on a date night kind of thing. on a date night who likes mm-hmm. to want to see like a crime movie. The ring is really, really hits more for like teenagers can see it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, it stars it's Adam Brody. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Very it, star- much so. it stars Adam Brody, you know, the star of the ring, Adam Brody. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, He's in, the, he's in zero, the first scene, Peter. <laughs> like he's that's it. Yeah. I, and I say this with zero judgment because it was like a very exciting at the time. But there were teenagers that, for them, The Ring was the scariest movie they'd ever seen in a the theater. Yeah, I can understand. Um, I'm the one guy that doesn't like The Ring very much. So I was uh, I was okay with it. I went. I didn't see it till like the Wednesday after it opened, and yeah. after everybody, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I saw. It, I was like, well, it's fine. Kind of reminded me of Stir of Echoes, but you know that was. <laughs> Real, real, real quick, real quick before we pass over this, the one perfect casting is Philip Seymour Hoffman in this oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's great. Yeah, there yeah. is absolutely nothing wrong with anything he does in this movie. No, <laughs> like, you're no and it's a change of the character. The character is supposed to be more fancier, like dress and everything. But uh, I like what Philip Seymour Hoffman does. Was it's Stephen like throw it away. Yeah, he was like it's sloppy fancy, like a guy okay, who's just kind of sleazy fancy. And okay, Lang had that going on, and Lang's good too. But I he mean, is. Philip Seymour Hoffman's like hey, just- hey, do whatever. <laughs> it's it's a yeah he just completely nails this book and, and even then that you know that book was written before not that there weren't tabloids but sleazy tabloid culture had certainly taken a turn since the writing of Manhunter so yes you make yeah. sense to have still to Robin <laughs> look exactly how he looks as the the lead writer of that the Tatler. <laughs> Wait, oh. when is Almost Famous? Two thousand? Two thousand? Yeah. 2000. Late 2000. No, yeah, this is this is prime uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's a yeah. character actor. Um, yeah, like, both and like and like a more a higher profile one. The 90s, yeah. he's like he appears in a couple scenes here or there, in like from like I don't know 98 and be like after Twister, like he, he starts <laughs> oh, to come like he starts rising more and more as far as prominence as these amazing supporting character roles, which peaks My- of course, which peaks of course with Along Came Polly, and then he becomes a star. Like, <laughs> you know, you're not wrong because he was a big part of the advertising campaign. I'm telling you, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, that's the Maybe. peak of him as supporting yeah. guy, and then he becomes like Capote, like then he becomes right lead art house actor. Exactly. I'm, yeah. t- I'm not wrong. I told you, it's, it's yeah. all up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, by this point in the time, 
I don't know if he gets billing above the title or anything like that, but yeah, in film nerd circles, he was a gift. Yeah. Um, Boogie Nights was the uh, Twister's a joke a little bit, but Boogie well, Nights was Boogie like, Nights almost yeah, I noticed him. Magnolia like yeah he had that yeah. PT Anderson run mm-hmm. which included this yeah. year because this is also a big oh, punch, punch drunk, drunk love came out this year. year yeah because you have and, this you have her him and uh, Emily Emily Watson well it's funny too because he's got this little trifecta go because yeah he's got Emily Watson Punch Drunk Love and he also does Twenty Fifth Hour with Ed Norton yeah there's a whole six there's the, the only person not not in this movie that we need is Kevin Bacon to really bring this home right <laughs> no, I think it's Look at, hold on, real well quick. This, no, go look, ahead. look at Anthony Held not looking like he's any younger in this movie. Right. <laughs> I'll grow my hair bigger. I'll grow my hair bigger. I don't know what it is, but even, you know, I mean, what I always say about, you know, the Brett Ratner, you know, getting out of people's way. Brett, you know, Anthony Held in this and X Men Last Stand, the only two bad performances I've ever seen him give. Uh huh. Yeah. And I don't no, he's terrible to in that movie. an actor who, you know, while obviously incredibly talented, needs direction. And there's plenty of actors like that. Danny yeah. Glover's the example I always use. You know, Danny Glover can be Oscar-worthy or god-awful, depending on, you know, what kind of direction he's given. Willis, who is he? Who is he? X-Men? He's the he's like the Secretary of State or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, um, oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, because I'm thinking of the other guy. Um, um, but no, um, what was I going to say? Um Willis is, no like, Willis is another easy example as yeah. far as if he has a director that challenges him, he'll do something. If not, he's, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, meanwhile, Bill Duke, who's also in this movie in X-Men The Last Stand, terrifying. He emits authority. That was that was X-Men when he was then, and then obviously after he got the surgery to change himself from Peter Dinklage <laughs> in the uh, Days of Future Past. That's <laughs> as, a prequel I want to see. As Trask. <laughs> look out, yeah, look out for the semen. He goes, he goes, <laughs> yeah, Bill Duke goes through the, um, the old, uh, mast, mast racer from speed racer, uh, plastic surgery to change <laughs> Peter Dinklage. <laughs> I think it's a credit and, you know, everyone's opinions will vary on this, on how effective this film is. If you kind of forget that Hannibal Lecter is involved by the 29 minute mark, because if yeah, the film just... is working, you're not thinking about Lecter at all. I think that's part of the the trick of having so many name actors in this film people even even like bill duke who you you know just right yeah. I, I understandably i know everyone's not going to know who bill duke is offhand yeah. beyond, hey it's but kind of go, oh that guy yeah so but but having just non-stop like famous people showing up throughout this thing yeah when you get back to hannibal it's like oh yeah this is a hannibal movie like i get that i get the the trick that they're trying to go with there do you think that they i mean you know, when it's going to sound really random, but like when you watch the behind the scenes of the force awakens, they go to great lengths to say that they were, when they were making recreating the millennium Falcon and everything, it was almost like they were treating star Wars, like as a period piece, not a period piece, like old, but meaning like it's authentic. Mm -hmm. Do you think when they were doing this scene, because it's clearly supposed to be, we're clearly supposed to think this is the exact same set from Silence of the Lambs. It's not, it can't be, but do you think that they were trying in their mind being like, we have to be so specific classic film? Yeah. Yeah, I I think they were trying to match up the the previous one as much as possible. And that's the reason this movie exists. So people can buy the DVD box set of Red Dragon. That's a corset Aaron was talking about. Uh If you look at his back, you can see he's got a corset on under that. (laughs) I see what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. We talked a little bit about how uh, not svelte, 
Anthony Hopkins was in Hannibal because he was a free man and he can, you know, eat what he wants to and do what he not. And now we're trying to picture a pre silence of the lambs, Anthony Hopkins face wise. He looks pretty good. Yeah. Which Ratner is apparently really good at doing because it's better in the last stand than it is in some of the other X-Men movies when it comes to the de-aging stuff. But nobody, I mean, nobody can line him as good as Demi had him like at all. Like, of course, (laughs) you know what? I realized we didn't, we didn't look up that, is kind of interesting. Isn't, I think, isn't Nor- Norton sort of like Dustin Hoffman? Isn't he a method actor? I think he is. Norton? Yes, very much. Well, Whereas Hopkins is like Olivier, that <laughs> Hopkins is very famous for being like, yeah, man, I don't do any research. I just memorize the lines. Like, Because I remember that's a famous, which is very much the marathon. Is it Marathon Man? Marathon yeah. Man. Yeah, the triacting thing. So you basically have a similar thing here where you have someone like Ed Norton has a very specific way of what he thinks acting is. Yeah. Well, you have more old time movie star guy Hopkins. The, the British approach acting in a much different way than uh, Americans. Americans are ego star driven, not all of it, but I mean, there's a difference there when British is, it's a part, it's a part. I play the part, I get the part down. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very much, it's a lot more job like to them. Um, but doing a good job, good thing at a job like you'll see like british people like actors show up in a little small part like i remember i think it was like woody allen's match point colin salmon who's like a very notable actor like could be a lead in tons of movies has this like little three-line part in a in the movie and it's like oh wow that's a bit big of cat it was just up you know it was like you know it was a part i went out and auditioned i got this part and then you know do your role it doesn't matter that's that's alfred molina in a nutshell because he's like he can be the one of the main stars of the film where he can be like 14th build and he's like yeah whatever like i just like having a good time i think it's a great mindset i think it's a better mindset than the pompous asshole and you know method of dive in <laughs> those can be un- those can be an unhealthy on set a lot of the times. Which that's what makes Nicolas Cage fascinating to me because he does the blue collar approach to all. It's a job. I'm taking a job. Mm-hmm. Yet he is also very intense about every he role he takes. One hundred percent. Like it's he's doing it all. <laughs> he's the ultimate actor. I'm telling. You. But he's not a problem to people either. No, he's so, not. No, he's not. Yeah. People, he, people. I mean, he gets work with not because people don't like him. He's like whatever <laughs> my part. I'm going to give it. Whatever he always knows what movie he's in, and he always gives it that what he can give 110%. Like, if he's like, Oh, this is a crappy B level over the top thing for you know, probably direct to video, I'm gonna give that performance a one out of me. Oh, this could be a good indie. Here's my Oscar self again. Like, he knows where he's at. Like, that's the cool thing about Cage. The thing with Norton to get back to this is that it's not that just that he's methods like i don't think he's you know playing will graham in between scenes here um <laughs> but i but yes he is very intense about his craft but the other thing is he seems like a guy one of the one of the guys that actually like wants to see the thing as it's being done as in the whole picture where you know lots of actors they're just simply acting it's up to the directors editors and everybody else to pull the final thing together he seems like he's in the moment like he's like all right i i like he's doing this also at the same time as like brett ratner is on camera like he's yeah. putting, he wants to he, he he wants to see like what the dailies are he wants to know where this is going right which is what's gotten him into trouble in the past as far or at least controversial fights with you know like american history x and incredible hulk the two most important films of all time uh, it's, um, he, he wants to uh, he wants a good edit of his movie he wants the movies to be good which is not terrible but hasn't always helped yeah. him as far as his Strange. reputation goes 
I, I've seen that, you know, I've, if you've seen the deleted scenes of the Incredible Hulk, like, yeah, you kind of had a point. Some of that stuff was good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it, it's, I, I think this was Sam Jackson that said this, and I could be mistaken. So forgive me if I'm wrong. But, you know, to the effect of, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm the guy, I'm the person on the screen that the audience is going to see. Mm-hmm. And especially general audiences that aren't necessarily, you know, hardcore into the craft of filmmaking. If a movie, you know, if my movie's bad, they're going to instinctively blame me or think less of me, even if the issue is the direction or the editing or what yeah, happened. The editor picks my takes. The director approves those yeah. takes, you know? you know? I don't think that was Jackson. I apologize. I was thinking of something else he said. Which is a, never mind, but yeah, the, the point still stands. You know, at the end of the day, the guy on the screen, the woman on the screen, is the one that most audiences are going to say are going to think of when they think of a movie being good or bad. Um, coming up, there's coming up, there's like but, I know it's a terrible Harrison Ford movie. You cut out a little bit. What'd you say, Scott? I said I couldn't tell you who directed Firewall if my life depended on it. But I can oh. tell you it's a terrible Harrison Ford movie. Is it Roger Spottiswood? I think it is. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I understandably not everyone's gonna know that. I know exactly what yeah. you're saying. I'm pretty sure it's yeah, Roger Spottiswood, I think it though. Is. <laughs> I need to know this. That's Tomorrow Never Dies, right? Spottiswood? Yep. Yeah. Uh Terror Train Spottiswood. Yeah. No, sorry, it's Richard Longcrane. Okay. Oh, oh Rich, yeah. What a relief. <laughs> oh Spottiswood unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired? I know he probably. He, he, uh, I know this he guy did, did like, a Band of Brothers. The guy who directed Firewall. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Yeah. What did Roger Spottiswood would do though? It's like something similar. Can I? Um, the wait, Sixth I Day. That? There we go. <laughs> something techie. Oh. <laughs> so, um, just curious. Like, I feel like this is. I know that this movie is supposed to be sort of older or whatever like we're talking about how it doesn't really necessarily feel like a period piece because like in manhunter i think the idea is is that they are aren't they like super eight things that are being transferred Uh family yes yeah this is a strange thing to me that it's like all right wait because i remember the 80s and 90s and it's like yeah you would work you know you have mom and dad is video camcorder and you record everybody but it's like you wouldn't necessarily I guess you could take it to some post house that would like put graphics on it and say, this is starring my son, Billy. It's mm-hmm. a weird, I feel like it's a weird workaround they had to come up with. Whereas right. in the original movie, it's just like, Oh no, it's, it's basically taking um, film, transferring it so that you could, a consumer could use it. Yeah. I guess. So, I mean, yeah. if you want to place this, this takes place in what? 89, 90. If we want to, well, it's supposed to be like the movie ends like two seconds before Silence of the Lambs, so, yeah. right? So yeah, it's supposed to be like the latest of the eighties. Yeah. yeah, and oh. I get the post. I don't know. I know you when back in the day you take your film to like the drugstore, to uh, the pharmacy or whatever to get the film developed. Yeah. So maybe you take a VHS tape and they put some. I guess yeah, or, like, or maybe he's just an amateur video editor. Like maybe just <laughs> something he does. <laughs> Oh, they catch him faster. <laughs> That's the thing that always, and you know, again, you know, when you're watching a film, you're obviously in a different mindset than someone in the real world, you know, trying to solve a crime. But every time I, you know, watch this, or even when I read the book, I was like, the whole translating the video, Super 8 to video thing is so new, unique 
that once I found out that both victims had done that, that'd be the first thing I'd look into. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's like the one thing about them that's weird. Real quick, where the hell is this movie supposed to take place? This is Alabama. Uh, we were in we were in Baltimore. He lives in Florida. Like where well, what's the, the central location of this? In movie? the book, there's like Atlanta is a big uh central hub, Florida's in it, uh New Orleans, and then like Chicago area, St. Louis is uh, I is think the St. Tooth, is the Tooth Fairy driving around all these I think places? Tooth Fairy's in St. Louis because you can drive to like there's the because they give the four hour radius of driving to pick up the Tadler in Chicago, and I believe when they catch the Tooth Fairy it's St. Louis. Okay. Um, but I, I just I, know, I just noticed the Birmingham tag is like wait where are we like we were just in Baltimore like what's going on? but okay yeah ba- I mean ba- yeah Baltimore CIA all that stuff and then the crime originally happened in like, so Will Graham's living in Florida when this yeah, starts he's living in Florida I know that. Uh, Atlanta is where what, the main family the first family he looks into the crime and I believe the other family I I guess Alabama I was thinking New Orleans but um, uh, Alabama. I just went to Ed Norton's. Family. I just went to Ed Norton's Wikipedia page. He looks like the CEO of like a new business on his profile picture. Welcome to the haunted dollar hide home. <laughs> Strong as I am. Yeah, you, know, you were making fun of this, but this is probably like the most creative shot in the movie so far. <laughs> like this, yeah. this pan, yeah. this pan to what is what I presume is like hell that it's we're like, supposed to see once we get inside. It's like the uh, Michael Bay Texas Chainsaw Massacre right here, like. A year later. This looks like the opening credits of a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> we got you have Danny Elfin score. I would <laughs> love yeah, Tim, yeah. Tim Burton's Red Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's you know, Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> that's the close. True. I was just trying to think, what was his what was his big serial killer movie? You know he's done one. He did two. He Sweeney, did one, Todd. Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd and, and um and Sleepy Hollow. Those are the ones. Yeah. And Ed Wood. They just deleted all those scenes. Of course. <laughs> right. uh, he was a secret killer also. Wait, what came first, this or uh, Aviator? This. Aviator is 2004. Because okay. Aviator also has a weird, it has that opening where it's like we're seeing how how kind of cruel, you know, uh, his mother is to Howard Hughes, to Little Howard. That's what this reminds me of. You're filthy and everything. Who plays his mother? I haven't seen the aviator in full since the I don't theaters. remember. I assume it's somebody. If Jude Law could show up for two I minutes. I feel like it's like Patricia <laughs> Clarkson or something. Like it feels like an actor. That's such a that's such a guess I would have made too. Yeah, it's like Patricia Clarkson. That makes yeah. sense. Like, <laughs> like her. Like uh, I could be wrong though, but um this is such a strange thing. I I actually really like Ray Fines, um, but I really love most do. <laughs> I do, I do. I really love like I love um in in the few roles I've seen him in, I really like, I guess what we would say, character actor Tom Noonan. Um, so this makes sense in the sen- in that, like, you really want a name. It's like, oh, well, who's our big serial killer? We need a name actor. And and Ray Fiennes is a good actor, but it, I, it is, it's really hard for me not to just prefer Tom Noonan in the role. Well, well sir, I mean, that is because we know who he is at this point. He's been, you know, this is, nine years since Schindler's List. So it really is, you know, I think most of us, especially if we saw the movie when we were very young, you know, we don't watch Manhunter and go, oh, it's Tom Noonan. Right. Um, <laughs> unless we saw Monster Squad first and have really good eyes. Um, and so yeah, for, for us when we're watching Manhunter, it's Blurhide. 
It's a scary tall guy who is killing people. With this, it's oh, it's acclaimed actor Ray Fiennes playing the serial killer. Right. It, is, it is a different you know, mentality. And even then, like Ray, F- yes, Ray Fiennes is more popular. He's starting a Best Picture winner compared to Tom Noonan. Unless I'm missing something with Tom Noonan, which I wouldn't be surprised if he's in a lot of things. Um, but I, I mean, Ray Fiennes is a pretty like particular kind of actor too. I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I look at him in this movie, and it's like yeah, he just did like Spider, right, with Cronenberg. It's like, yeah. it's, but it, he gives it, so much to this role. Like it's uh-huh. like sympathetic in a lot of more ways. Oh yeah, and for sure. less. I mean, Noonan's got to just chilling intimidation yeah to Noonan seems like the personification of evil like yeah. that's that's very much there in that performance this this is yes it's it's trying to give you more empathy for him in this movie by comparison which is why i sort of think the do you see scene doesn't work as well oh I think, no absolutely i not. think that noonan he projects something that you're like oh my god if i was in the room with this person like how would i react i don't know what i would do you know when he's got that stocking over half his head yeah. during it and and then it, this one just it well, goes overboard with the tattoo. the tattoo. Yeah, it's an overboard sequence, <laughs> though. But yeah, Kinda. because the other, whenever I see that tattoo, I just think, man, he had to go to a shop and like get that done. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, can I say? Um, I would like to say though that I know we're being a little critical of this movie, but I will say that like it might be ridiculous. But I kind of appreciate this scene. I appreciate, you know what? Let's have Lecter not in that cell. <laughs> How about something else? But he can't, you know, we'll have him like he's kind of tied up so he can't really touch Graham. I know it means a little silly, but I actually we'll tie like, that belt really tight around yeah. him. I like this. I guess I like the art direction. I like this. I like this set. It's not it, a bad. I mean, you have Spinati shooting this movie. It's not going to look bad, but and. Right. Yeah, this is a unique location, so it gives him something to do. And you get the trailer shot right here, right? Where he, like, in sudden rush of panic. And he flung. Oh, that's right. That was the trailer shot. Yeah, there it is, right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is is this this is the scene that Norton and Ratner thought about, too, where, uh, or was it the first scene? But there was, like, a the one, like, or at least the one that we know about disagreement they had was Ratner wanted, Nor- wanted Will Graham to seem scared and have that be clear in the scene of, of Lecter. And Norton was like, Graham should be is too smart to show fear to Lecter. So they made a compromise and you see like sweaty armpit stains when he takes off his yeah. jacket in the next scene. Yeah. So you can know that he was in fact terrified of talking to Hannibal Lecter. He changes but... his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, I will say I do like that. I do like that line because I don't remember if that's in Manhunter. I do like the line of the the Chilton says or whatever, like "How did you do it?" or something like that. And he's like, "I let him kill me." That's. I mean, it's. I like that. I was like, "Yeah, it's effective." I, I mean, okay. Here's a question: Do you guys like the Hopkins stuff in this movie? I think it's fine. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Hopkins. A means so. to an end, and I think it is to the film's credit that Hopkins is not allowed to take over the movie. Because, you know, other than, you know, after the prologue, we don't see him again for 29 minutes. And it's, it had been, you know, basically he shows up for maybe a few minutes every 15 minutes. Um, and I may be mistaken as we go through the rest of this film, but this is really the only scene that feels like, okay, we, we need more lecture than the book had. We will invent a scene to give them another chitter-chatter. Brandon? Um, yeah thoughts on Lecter? Oh, I he's fine. Like, I mean, it, it's a little um, 
my I mean it's not I mean it's not any more than what he should be aside from that opening scene. So Barney um, obviously looks great in this movie. Right, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I does look good, yes. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um but um I no, I agree with you, Brandon. I mean obviously you know, we can keep talking about Manhunter all day. And yeah, Brian, I think Brian Cox is very effective in the mm-hmm. small, you know, the the small amount of time he has in the film. But here, yeah, I mean, this scene, for instance, Brian Cox owns this scene as far as how yeah. to do this, this um, phone call thing to the library and all that. Um, so who's you're that this act- guy? Yeah. <laughs> What's this actress from? She was in like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She got really high marks. She did this like indie horror film she did recently. She got high marks from, but you've seen her in tons of stuff. There is yeah, the, 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 like that WB show, Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, I believe was the title. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Buffy, was she in the uh, Conversations with Dead People episode? I believe she was uh, one of the oh, yeah. people conver- conversing. Yeah. That was right around the time of this movie. That was uh, toward the, uh, yeah, that was early the seventh season. It's like that, it's that 2000 <laughs> zone where there's a lot of like, you know, not the main actresses, but the other ones. They're like a lot of like Thor Birches, basically. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Hopkins. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, uh, he like he does. He does the job. I think. I think. I mean, as far as what's required of him, the movie is giving him just enough. And I think, yeah, I think Hopkins and Ratner or whoever, as far as editing or whatnot, they do enough to make his scenes feel important without, yeah, feeling like right. he's not poochy. Well, know, there's you know, a there's you're, a you're not getting away from the, you're not getting away from the scene. And be like, where's Hopkins? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an authenticity to it in Manhunter due to the fact that it is the '80s when they're filming it, and things are as they are. And here they're in probably shooting this in 2001, acting like it's having these '80s problems. So there's a sort of yeah. more theatricality yeah. to it when it's this, kind of matter of fact in Manhunter. This close up, by the way, really shows that he's you know. 15 years older than he was yeah. <laughs> I mean like I you know the kind of movie that Ratner and Universal were making with this Red Dragon I mean yes it's it is a movie and in a movie you want a movie star so that when Hopkins is on screen I pay attention to him even if he's not necessarily giving any there's no I wouldn't say there's any moment in this that's like oh my god that's like one of the best Lecter scenes ever. It's like, no, there's nothing like that. But I do pay attention to him. I, you know, he's a movie star. Whereas, yes, Manhunter doesn't need that. It doesn't, you know, such a different kind of thing that Michael Mann was going for. Well, Manhunter doesn't know what this is all going to become either. So right, it's truly right. pure in its own its own intentions. Correct. No, no this is made... this is Red Dragon as informed by Silence of the Lambs and right. Hannibal, and it yeah. shouldn't be. No Wait, as a side note, because I I um, I don't I don't know if I've asked you guys. Do you is everybody here of the opinion that Silence is the best film, or do you, some of you think Manhunter is the best of of these movies of the series? What we'd say. Um, I'm Team Silence. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's I'm, one of my all time favorite films. Period. Yeah, that's where I'm at as well. I, Manhunter is fantastic. I mean, it's but. after I watch one, I say that, and then I, I watch the other, and I say that. So it's kind of. <laughs> flip a coin yeah, for be, me i might be with brandon there although but, i might reach for him manhunter quicker just because it's got such stylish you know energy to it but i'm, I'm the other way silence like is if, a if, great film like oh, yeah yeah I love i'm a little the other way i feel like if silence is like on it's like i guess i'm watching this now like where manhunter it's like all right like <laughs> i need a little bit more of a push sometimes it's like this is it's so it's so striking at what it's trying to do 
where silence is very i don't know something really watchable to it about about it i guess i don't know. anyway we got the but i mean there's two here. great movies in yeah, this exactly. series <laughs> yeah, and yeah like i said at the beginning like, these are like, this is very kind of comparable to terminator uh for me where you have two great movies i don't know if they have their t3 rise of the machines but they have a lot of other stuff to it wait by, I'm the, sorry, what by is... the way peter shut up really. <laughs> i'm gonna try to, try to say this for five minutes um no one of note plays howard hughes's mother in the aviator in fact the credit is howard hughes's mother in the aviator wait what <laughs> The for the aviator, there's not, she doesn't even have a name, it's just credited as Howard Hughes's mother. So it's not that said. This, like, just looking at this cast list is insane. It's <laughs> going down the like, line here. Wait, 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 why not? Wait, who's playing the mother? It someone named Amy Sloan. Like, there's oh, okay, all right, all right. But like, I have to go like 17 names down here before I start getting a little hazy on who's who. Like, it's so there's such a huge cast list in this movie, it's ridiculous. Yeah, anyway. What is she from? What have we seen her in? Emily Watson. She, break, she was like she a, breaking, the, wa- breaking it, the waves. Breaking the waves is the, at this time. Like she was the indie darling. Like we got to make her a big star. Person. Yeah, her, her and Chloe Sevigny were having backroom balls. Um, right. Because right. <laughs> she had punch drunk love, as we mentioned earlier. Was that? Oh, that was, right. yeah. oh, that was this, that's this year. Yeah. Angela's Ashes. She had yeah. Gosford Park. Like. Yeah, because she was more. It's weird to say international, but like a UK star. Um, uh, equilibrium, or- which is uh, quote unquote better than the Matrix. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was also, on the box for that. It's movie. on the box set. Yeah, oh. it's, uh, it, that was also this year. Big year for Emily Watson. The boxer. Yeah, break, that was a big one for her. The boxer. Yeah, the boxer. Was, well, yeah. Bre- yeah, breaking the waves was that was her first movie. Right. So, you know, that was the breakout. Um, yeah, but it, it was a lot of like UK dramas. Yeah, like boxer, mm-hmm. Angela's Ashes. Uh, you mentioned Gosford Park, like, yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, she was a name if you were a film person, like the Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was a right and stuff, yeah. For what it's worth, and you know, for those that are taking notes, uh, Ride with Me for My Pleasure is not a successful pickup line. I'm sorry to report. <laughs> she is good here, along with what's oh, yeah. uh, with, with Joan Allen and Manhunter, as far as. Yeah playing a blind character and you know making that work for the film as far as <clears throat> the cleft lip in this is really pronounced compared to Noonan. Yeah. Well you kind of almost need it to be more pronounced with Ray Fines because you know he's a he's a really good looking guy. Yeah. I mean, with respect to Tom Newton who I love but I At mean one time could have <laughs> been James Bond and now he's M. <laughs> it's funny you say it because you know tom noonan is like that fits the mold of what a movie watcher would assume a serial killer would, which we've talked about before right, right? yeah far, and where ray finds is more conventionally handsome and that's yes. more what serial killers who do tend to look like as far as that goes I believe in the book he was more the fines descriptor of being handsome but he had that one little problem that over that you know hurt his esteem and kept him mm-hmm. where he is is the mother stuff in the book i forget oh yeah that's yeah, yeah that's like a major yeah, factor, it takes right? over yeah. the second half of the book that's what i thought I, okay yeah. uh can i ask you guys those who've read uh the books and stuff do you guys like uh thomas harris as a novelist as a writer yeah yeah i like uh i mean yeah with 
The good ones. The Red Dragon. <laughs> yeah. Red Dragon and Sinus, his strength is in, uh, you know, being able to interestingly do crime scene investigation, uh, mumbo jumbo stuff. It's really uh, with like investigations, the way people do reports and, and descri- his descriptors when he tries to do an adventure novel like Hannibal fail. He's not that he's not as interesting. Oh, so you don't like the book. Oh, so the, oh, so the, so Hannibal is not a case of, oh, the book's great, the, but the movie just doesn't work. You're like, well, no, the, we, we, yeah, the movie, oh. the movie's problem is the book isn't strong enough to begin oh. with. That's yeah. one of the movies. Someone did not listen to the Hannibal commentary. Sim- similar you to, uh, right. to <laughs> Harrison, Michael Crichton had the same problem with Jurassic Park. That was, that was the issue. <laughs> Wait, what about Michael Crichton? What? If the Lost World and that book existing and whatnot, and then they made a movie. Oh my god, I yeah. forgot that's a book. <laughs> but the no, book I'm... that it exists because we needed it, <laughs> right? Um, Carnosaur no, did it, not have those issues. <laughs> <laughs> I assume the Meg didn't either. <laughs> the Meg, uh, the Meg's got like twenty. How is there not already a? Okay, maybe COVID. Ben, ben Wheatley's making the sequel right now. He's got his new movie out. He's giving three interviews. years. They should have already had sequels to Crazy Rich Asians, Ocean's Eight, and The Mac. Scott, do you want a good Meg sequel or a fast Meg sequel? <laughs> I want a good one. Meg. <laughs> Bring back the cast. And you're already halfway there. How could? Aren't they mostly dead in the Meg? No, no there are several survivors. Oh, yeah, like. Most of the characters are. Eh. I feel like you're wrong because you are. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I only saw it once, but I'm like, wait, but just the way those I saw it once and I remember it more than you. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Ruby Rose still alive at the end? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that's all that matters. But she might so. quit on you, so don't. That's true. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, all the people that seemed vaguely important would survive the Meg. <laughs> I. Uh, it's funny. That's so funny. Meg just popped up on. Some, some stream and I was like, you know, maybe I'll give that another chance. So that's kind of funny that you guys. It's really... fun for the whole it's family. Fun. It does its job. It's literally my entire family loved it. So it really is fun for the whole family. We're really, you know, stalling to get past another hybrid cocktail scene. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this scene, this whole sequence we're about to see, like this, this. He's whole... got the mask on again, folks. He's got the mask on again. <gasps> this whole scene, price worth it. Peter, what? Peter, go. What are you saying? Say what you're oh, saying. <laughs> sorry. Uh, this whole scene to me uh, feels really, um, I don't necessarily say if it's wooden. It feels very uh, manufactured to me. Yeah, it feels like a scene that in a better movie, there'd be a really like thrilling aspect to watching them try to do all this stuff before Hannibal right. Lecter finds out. Like Manhunter? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but in this movie, hey, yeah, it just... It just feels like, oh, we got to get these pieces together again. Let's, so let's take this moment to talk about Brett Ratner a little bit as far as his films at this point. At, up until this, to, to Red Dragon, the guy just has hits and is generally liked, I think, as far as a direct, as far as a, like, because his movies say a Brett Ratner film on them. Like, I remember, like, the trailer for, like, Rush Hour 2 is, like, a Brett Ratner film, like, in the, like, I know that's contractual stuff or whatnot, but it's, like, it's still at the point where, regardless, people know who he is by name in the same way they know, I don't know, Burton or whatnot there's something there that seems to be clicking money talks comes out as his first movie. It's, you know, it makes money, but it's not like some kind of game changer. Rush hour is obviously a huge hit, makes a bunch of money. He does the family man with Nick cage. It's a pretty, that's a decent hit too. Right. Scott, is that yeah. family man? Like it makes money. Modest hit. It's a modest hit for Christmas. This yeah. is it, it's like a November release. I've had to guess since it's a Christmas. Movie. Uh, 
I think it actually was Christmas, but don't quote me on it. It is. Yeah, no, you're right. 22nd. The rare yeah. Christmas movie that opens on Christmas. Holy shit. Yeah. So that means it must not have done well because Christmas movies generally bomb on Christmas. Well, let's see. It, 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 it 60 million, 124 worldwide. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's 2000. So that was it up against the Grinch. The Grinch knocked uh, off. <laughs> well, that was, that was Thanksgiving. Christmas 2000 was Cast Away, The Emperor's New Groove, What Women Want. It was a packed uh, week. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it was a packed yeah. season. Yeah. I, I guess Tom Hanks is doing a little bit more than, uh, and Mel Gibson were doing a little bit more than uh, Nick Cage as a family man. Um, yeah, Rush Hour yeah. Two comes out. Rush Hour Two is a hit, right? That's like oh, a huge it's hit. Big, yeah. Makes a, makes it almost breaks the opening weekend record. Yeah, like it's like a few six, million like, of the Lost World. It's like sixty-seven million or something like that. Yeah. right? It's like it's huge. I mean, it's a breakout sequel to Holy Shit Smash. Uh huh. And so oh. at this point, Brett Ratner is just like what he's four for or three, at least three for three as far as black, yeah. like bigger scale movies go. So coming into Red Dragon, which is like an art, like he did, he's done what three fairly family for at least PG thirteen movies. Now he's doing like a big R rated adult film. I I can not that I'm thinking people were going to the theaters because Brett Ratner is directing this movie, but in terms of like someone that's reliable as far as getting a hit goes, I get it. I get where that comes from as far at that point as far as getting him having some esteem to come with it. It's like yeah, this guy who made those Rush Hour movies has a huge cast to remake. Um, the first Hannibal Lecter story, and he's got Anthony Hopkins back. Well, in terms of where they were in their career, he's about where Man and Demi were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of making films, Ridley Scott would be the outlier. And this was certainly a, to a certain extent, it was a you know it was a flex. It was look what I can do. Yeah, and it was a far more prestigious. Yeah, I'd say it was expensive. Rush Hour Two was cost like ninety million dollars, but you know it certainly it's was seventy eight. I mean, this isn't cheap. yeah, yeah. Like, this movie. Um, but but no, this was certainly a, a attempt by Ratner to show that he could make a prestigious adult picture as well. Um, Which he does, and the movie is he does. And the film wasn't a smash, but it did two hundred and you know eighty million dollar budget back when that was enough ish. Um, because you had a more viable DVD market, marketing was cheaper. Um, it's an R-rated film, so the expectations are already a little bit. Yeah, low, yeah. Although, again, Hannibal <laughs> such a huge opening when it opened, but yeah. also this this movie's only a couple years removed as opposed to yeah, like a year and a half basic, later. It's not a legacy short. sequel like Hannibal seemed to be. Yeah. Um. But. But no, you guys are absolutely right in terms of this franchise, where you have one film that's sort of a cult, you know, a cult picture that comes out in the eighties that people have seen and people have liked, but whatever. And then you get a sequel seven years later that just blows the balls off of everybody, financially speaking. And then they spend the next 30 years to get the franchise. Is this the passing the torch moment, by the way, of Ken Leong, star of Saw? Yes. This is is the Schwarzenegger slash Dwayne Johnson moment in the rundown. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if he had survived the first Saw. (laughs) No, don't you remember the end of the rundown? The Rock also gets gunned down by... Oh, the beginning of, of the rundown. <laughs> no, no, the Rock gets gunned down by shotguns at the end uh, of the rundown. That oh, time. yes, yes, yes. That's the the, um, the alternate ending. That Chris Walken gets his revenge. <laughs> he gets home. <laughs> it's a elaborate trap. <laughs> Just the credits are... Wow. Johnson murdered by a bunch of shotguns. <laughs> what a dark ending. Remember how Saw has a scene where Ken Leon gets murdered by a bunch of shotguns, but it's so cheap. Yeah. They just kind of show like 
I guess his body shook around, and then he's on. He, he died. And then Danny Glover goes. What about that movie that's so cheap? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for what it was, yada yada yada. You mean the best but, car chase? Yes, the best. It will never stop being funny that the, the successful director of Furious Seven was also <laughs> the guy who directed the single worst car chase in a major Hollywood movie right. that any of us will ever see. <laughs> He made up for it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, again, I like Saw less than some people, but you could tell Juan like had it. the goods even back then. I'm sorry? Then, I don't like it, but I mean, but then, I like, but then the sequel's better. But then, um, well, there's Dead Silence, but that Death Sentence has some oh, really, yeah. Death Sentence has some really inventive camera stuff going on there. Oh, yeah, that one's fun. Uh, and I really like, you know, Death that's by default my favorite Death Wish kind of movie. Yes, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's better than the, the other ones. Yeah. Um, and then Insidious was good. Conjuring was good. Insidious 2 was good. Conjuring 2 was okay. Insidious 2 was d- not good. <laughs> I, I've only seen them both once, but I remember liking it more than the first one. Maybe because it actually what? had an ending. Mostly because it had an ending. <laughs> I was annoyed by the wah wah, it's not over yet. You know, thing with the first Insidious. Um, I mean, it's a horror movie ending. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they leave you going, oh, it's still out there. Shit. A couple it's famous not, ones did that. <laughs> it's not my favorite trope. You got to earn it. Uh, I, and I love Joyride, but I'm annoyed that Joyride did that. Hey, but there's, um, two, there's two highly successful direct-to-video sequels to Joyride, though. So. At what cost, Aaron? At what cost? It, it kept Buffalo Bill employed, let me tell you right there. <laughs> Was he in the sequel? I assume so. It's, he's, he has to drop a voice. I assume he's in them, That's isn't true. he? Let's see. I'm Joy Ride. Now. <laughs> as we continue to not talk about Red Dragon. <laughs> right. <laughs> we get, as we get back to the boring back in Miami bits or whatever we're going through. <laughs> we have uh, Mary Louise Parker here. Pre- yeah, who's very much collecting a paycheck. It's Yeah. It's, well, she's in between uh, appearances on the West Wing. Mm. Was Weeds still on the... Yeah. Was no, this, oh, this is, this is right this before, before Angels this, in America, even. This, yeah. yeah, this is before... Yeah, Weeds is, what, 2005, maybe? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. She's still being saved. Oh, man. I yeah. like that movie. Saved? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. That 20 years later, we haven't moved him. We haven't progressed at all in society. Right. Well, I was just watching Saved for Work. Holds up. Yeah, yeah well, it's good. Yeah. Really good, really good cast. Least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm sorry, guys. He does not voice the trucker in either, no! of, the, um, either of the, the the Joyride sequels. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got you all excited to to go check those out immediately. <laughs> my my favorite bit of dumb sequel trivia like that is the fact that Sean Bean, who actually showed up for freaking Silent Hill two, did not reprise his role in the second Percy Jackson movie. Mm-mm. He, I, if you don't remember, at the end of the first Percy Jackson, he says, "My work here is done," and he evaporates as he's the why he's Poseidon, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, I like that JJ Abrams has a credit for Joy Joyride Three, based on characters created by JJ Abrams. That's very funny. <laughs> like if you're gonna look up JJ Abrams' filmography, Joyride Three is going to be in there. <laughs> That's better than Rise of Skywalker. I'm about to say, you know, maybe that's a prequel. It's better than the right. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> One of the best titles of those, obviously, is I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. It's like, okay. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know the, why. The tense doesn't reason, make any sense. <laughs> but for some reason, Wendy and I decided to watch that in like French with German subtitles. Naturally. And it, it's interesting. <laughs> um, this is subtle foreshadowing. Oh, I was about to say, oh, this is this is important. It's important to know she's good at this. Do you think this movie gets away with it at the end if they don't have a scene of her knowing how to shoot a gun? <laughs> Do you think this makes uh, yes, but you know, I think. It's, I mean, I guess it, it gives her yeah. more agency and more time to be on this on camera, so you don't forget yeah. that he has a wife and a child back at home. I mean, they didn't show Hannibal Lecter knife training at the beginning before, so he could stab Will Graham accurately. Yeah, but we've all seen The Edge, Brandon, so we just assume he's really good at knives. All right. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so now here we go. <laughs> the movie's going to start ramping up now because now it's going to really merge the Tooth Fairy and Will Graham stuff. It comes so Billy. So, so now we get the, the whole Tatler stuff here, which is... You know, a lot of Hoffman. <laughs> it's not going to end well for him, but I like. I yes, it's maybe better done in Manhunter, but I do like the just the callousness of these guys tricking this man <laughs> for the sake of bait <laughs> and having no remorse about it whatsoever. <laughs> oh. Like, because they do a terrible job of keeping track of him and all of this seems like like this should be easy stuff for them to do as far as we're using him for a very specific well i guess they're trying to get him to get will graham and not specifically go after freddie lounds right so that's yeah they're trying to the idea is that they're going to blame you know hopefully that tooth fairy will blame Emma Lecter and not will graham but as we all know, if being on Twitter, you blame the person that's immediately available to associate with these not the creator You blame Scott Mendelson because he wrote a bad review, not the movie for being bad. <laughs> that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh. So basically, Scott, you work for the Tatler now. That's what we're saying. This. Yeah. Um. It's funny when you when you when you watch this film. It's like the one part that would probably get tagged as "quote unquote" problematic by modern standards is how incredibly homophobic their article is that they're talking about in terms of they're describing him. They're basically saying he's an ugly gay man that got molested as a child by, by another man. And that's why he's a psycho that kills people. And the tooth fairy takes great offense to this. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, hmm. (laughs) You'll have all this protection. The Tatler, you know, he will not, Freddie will not. I like how he comes across this. He just like see, he's on the street and he just sees. Oh a no no no! He was going no. He was going to see it. Like he was going to get it because this guy's like back again. I said not till four, like because he he notably in the book always picks okay. up the Tadler first thing, and this is not in the book. But this guy mentions that hey, I told you, not till it's up for sale mm-hmm. at ten. So. So that's the that is the local newspaperman that he goes to to get his. Oh, I get it. That car, nineteen eighties. That would be more seventies, if you ask me. Don't park next to a van, even if it's in your spot. Uh, 
I like how he Pfizer. Does he see him in the car? He just assumes he's in the car. <laughs> Guess the window is down. So he's got to move the Freddie Lounge car to get out. He's a big guy. <laughs> I will say they do. They do on more than one occasion. They do utilize how strong he is. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, yeah. so he just picked up Philip Zimmer Hoffman and chugged him in the van? Like, I mean. <laughs> Like yeah. they, they, cause they go out of their way to be like, he's in shape. He works out. So it's like, all right, yeah, I, I buy it, I guess. Cause you've proved that he's a strong guy. Yeah. Uh, Ray finds did like workouts for like months too, to prepare for this thing. So he's, this is and probably like, for, and to prepare for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, he chopped off his own nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this and like, I don't know, Coriolanus are probably like the best shape that Ray finds has ever been in for movies. He's still gardening too from preparing for that role. <laughs> I mean, that movie rules. So. He doesn't stop. <laughs> the dig, the constant gardener, Peter. He oh, won't he's... stop. <laughs> he's not the periodic gardener, Brandon. He's the constant gardener. It's right there in the title. Yeah. I absolutely love that movie. The no, it's a good movie. Gardener is it's fantastic. Great. Like I and I was so like I was so because I, I I'm such a huge City of God fan. I was like for Fernando Mieres is back and he's doing uh, the Carré novel. And I was like I was prepared to have like a good movie, but I was like this movie's excellent in like every way. <laughs> we don't it, it qualify for that tweet of we don't talk about blank movie enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Oscar winning Constant Gardner. Yes. Got Rachel Weiser. Awesome. Yes. It even has a scene where Bill Nye goes, and he gets real stammery and has to walk out of a room really angrily. It's great. It movie rules. <laughs> it has Pete Postlethwaite just being cool. It's a fun movie. <laughs> Pete Postlethwaite. Anyway, uh, Philip Seymour is going to get tortured now, and it's going to really mm-hmm. suck for him. He's already glued, which he asked he asked to be glued for real to this chair. He's going to be given a, an eye test too. He didn't want to fake it. A lot of method going on in this movie, guys. <laughs> like everyone really was into this. Did he also ask me set on fire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, obviously no. But there's a really great uh, special feature on this uh, on this disc that shows the guy that did that. He like put on this suit and everything, and they set him on fire and threw him down a you know threw him down a ramp. He put on his Philip Seymour Hoffman mask. As he did, he did. You can see it in the features. He has a Philip Seymour Hoffman mask. It's over his face and everything. Just like Mission Impossible Three. Yeah, it's just it's just like that. (laughs) Ving Rhames helped. It was great. Comes big big tattoos. We have the meats. (laughs) Wait, is this before after Da Vinci Code? Isn't this 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 before before before. six? Was that Paul Bettany? Yeah, Vision Albino. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he's all white where, you know, it's a little different here. I mean, they do have, I mean, yeah, the tattoos, that's a lot. But after Tan Noonan, what, had an applied tattoo that they didn't show on camera, which wonderful for him. <laughs> hey, it's on the back of the VHS tape in the DVD box, right? Mm-hmm. It's surprising that the, uh, are there special features on the Scream Factory disc that have more of that tattoo on Tom Noonan? I won't be surprised. I, I can't remember. It's two discs. <laughs> oh, you're right. In lens flare over his nipples. It's great. 
In Da Vinci Code, is he flogging himself? He flogs himself. That's mm-hmm. his thing. I knew there was some weird Op- yeah. Opus Dei Catholic thing. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Alfred Molina, who's I I would assume like eighth build in Da Vinci Code. Um, he like you know he's he's the bad guy. Right. He's one of the bad guys. Right. Am I right? Alfred Molina in Da Vinci Code. Am I making I that? I don't up? remember. Sure. I'm pretty sure. Right. He has like a, he's like a bishop. He has like the the bull cut and all that stuff or whatever. With one of the the other ones, got religious stuff Ian too. Ian McKellen so. gets revealed as the bad guy. At the end. He's one of the bad. You're. A, I can't even begin with trying to remember the Da Vinci Code plot. All I know is Angels <laughs> and Demons rocks. It has a scene where Ewan McGregor jumps out of a helicopter, and it's like oh, that's, it's one of the great. And, la- and Crash lands like a Looney Tunes character. Yeah. It's amazing. How, How many is it? I'm right. I love that ridiculous, ridiculous movie. He's fourth build. How many codes are there? How many Da Vinci Codes? There's three, three movies. What's the third then? Inferno. 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 I never saw that one. That, I knew I, was, you didn't go to that screening? That feels like something I'd no, sat I, next to you at. <laughs> no, I, I, for some reason, I did have the screening invite, but I didn't go for some reason. You didn't watch, uh, you didn't watch Tom Hanks on Corden and, and see him do all his roles and be like, Inferno, come to theaters, May, whatever. <laughs> Everyone watched David Pumpkin. Nobody watched Inferno. Or no, yeah, it, was, it was an October movie, right? It was like yeah. late fall. Yeah, David S. Pumpkin. Awesome. Because that was that, yeah, that was that time. That's why he hosted SNL because yeah. Inferno was coming out. The iconic Robert Langdon, uh, yeah. uh, Tom Hanks character. Are there any more of those books? There's, yeah, there's. Right. Uh, there was. That's, that's enough. I think they skipped <laughs> I don't one. Need to hear more. <laughs> well, no, I think they skipped one with when they went to Inferno or something. Yeah, they like pulled. That. They pulled a dragon tattoo. <laughs> they moved on because they did Da Vinci Code, which is the second book. They went back into the first book, but acted like it was the second book. And they skipped was, one. The Vigico was yes. the second book? Yeah. Yeah. Big, it was the first a- one. Angels and Demons is the first book. Was that was that big? Because the Vinci Code was like a phenomenon when that it book was. It was yeah. moderately successful. Again, not unlike, you know, Red Dragon was Here's being the thing. Good, successful. Da Vin- you know, Sons of the Lands was very successful. I read Da Vinci Code, I read Angels and Demons, and I read another not Robert Langdon Dan Brown book. Dude writes the same book. Over and over and over and over. <laughs> no, yeah, that's what again. I understand. Like, my dad, my dad, who's an avid reader, he tried to read the Divinity. He's like, "This is nonsense." Like, and it's it's a quick, it's a quick read. It's a total grocery store book. Yeah, um, but like Dan Brown's, like his structure of everything is the same. And I was like, okay, I read three of those. But has uh, Refine's been in a vampire movie? We need to get him in one of those. Mm. Has he? <laughs> It There's like two Dracula movies and a Renfield movie going into production. Somebody can cast him. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like he would have been like a good vampire at some point? Oh, of course. I mean, I mean you like, could argue Voldemort is vampire-like. He's a snake, Peter. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> he he's a snake blood? wizard. No. He's a snake <laughs> wizard. So he's one of those snake he wizards. Unicorn blood at one point. That's, that's a different cool. part of the whiteboard in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Has he? Been? Oh, like I'm looking now. Like it seems. No, he, he was, sorry, he was the were rabbit in Walls of Gromit Curse of the Were Rabbit, so he got close. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he was Aries, right? Or Hades? He was Hades. So. Yes. He circled it plenty of times, is what I'm saying. That's my favorite part of either of the Clash of the Titans movies is the bit toward the end of Wrath of the Titans where Ray finds and Liam Neeson basically team up like buddy cop heroes yeah, to kind like, of sort of save the day. They're like throwing lightning bolts and shit yeah. around it. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. 
Remember how they made a sequel? Remember how they made a sequel to Clash of the Titans? Well, that's what I'm talking about. That happens in Wrath of the Titans. I, know. I think it's a better film than Clash of the Titans. It is a better one, but it's just the fact, the fact that there's a second Clash of the Titans that nobody knows. <laughs> well, the first one made like 460 on a $190 million budget. It was, was in that. That was one of the first, like, ooh, 3D yeah, more yeah, than was, just Avatar movies. Yeah, it was, it was right. an infamously bad 3D transfer. Yeah. And a, um, you know, a not good movie. Also, yeah, was the also other part a lousy movie. Yeah. Um, it was a movie where, was, where like one of the God of War games was out at the time. It's like, I just want to go home and play God of War. Why am I watching <laughs> this right now? <laughs> and I will argue to a certain extent, the sequel got Tomb Raider trapped because it was better than the first one and it was more of what we wanted from the first one. Yeah, but, but I mean, I mean it's not, twice shy. But it's not like Rapid Tide was much, much greater either. Yeah, no, I agree. You're just big into it because it had what's his name, the director of Texas Chainsaw at the beginning, as detached and didn't hurt. Well, that didn't save Ninja Turtles. No, I remember because it was like Max Payne had come out, and for months I had seen that trailer, and it had the Marilyn Manson song in it. That's very specific to trailers and then the wrath of the titans trailer started coming out i might have i think i think they might have even played the wrath of the titans trailer during max Payne, and it has that same marilyn manson song in that trailer <laughs> so it's like oh, a <laughs> notable good guy marilyn manson back to red dragon yeah um, <laughs> back to brett ratner <laughs> um Ugh. where's Kaitel at this point he's this is before national treasure right He's doing whatever he feels like doing. I think he's just doing like like uh, one's be. No, that's the same year. Be cool. He's, 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 he's national just treasure. Harvey Keitel. Cool? I mean, he's he never really had yeah, of a. Of course he is. Huh. I his probably his career. His career is probably like amazingly consistent <laughs> if we look at it. Like, oh yeah, I mean, it, uh, this he, same year he's got nowhere and uh, Genostra and Beeper, and he, he no, showed Beeper. up on Saturday Night Live as Siegfried. And before this, like Little Nicky was the biggest movie. <laughs> Harvey Kent, despite like what, like he's able for our films, Harvey Kent seems like a guy that's always been second build, like that seems like his like role mm-hmm. in life. The odd, you know, a few things here or there, like smaller movies. Yeah, like he just works and like, Cop, like Copland or Clockers or what? I, Smoke was one of his things, right? Like I was like a solo thing. Piano. Point of no return. Bugsy. I guess he's like de facto lead in Reservoir Dogs because he's like the biggest name in that movie. Right, yeah. He's yeah I, I recall he's the reason the movie got made. Yeah, he's co-producer on it. Yeah. I mean, it's... Two Jakes. Like, he has a lot of like, I, I'm just, I'm here. I'm going to do my thing and you're probably going to like it. It's <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Uh, the, only, the unlikely relationship that I really like, him and Wes Anderson. Like he's right. in Moonrise, he's in Moonrise and in um, Grand. Oh, Blue. that's true. He's in Isle of Dogs as well, and he's in Isle of Dogs, and he's fucking solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like he's, he's he just gets it with Ed Norton, by the way. Like another right. connection. <laughs> he's like he's really funny in Grand Budapest Hotel too. He like has the bald cap going on, and he's got all these tattoos. He's just look like that. He, the way they're trying to make it. Hopkins look younger in that reflection. It takes the wrinkles away. It's weird because of that like intense close up in that very light well lit scene that 
because here it looks much different. The lighting's way it yeah. does it evokes more of that past link uh, lector. Maybe they're like visually trying to build him to the silence lector that you know. <laughs> By I don't think I don't think Ratner's that smart, but wait, I've I've a wait Thomas Harris question. Uh huh. Lecter was just saying transformation is key. Obviously, that's the same thing in Silence of the Lambs about the with the moth and everything. Is that all his Thomas Harris? Like, are they are the is it always some kind of weird thing, or is it just those two books? I, th- oh, I, mean, I think those are the only ones he wrote. Yeah. Other than the, the terrorist blow up the Super Bowl one. Um. Yeah. Did he? I mean, he wrote Red Dragon. He wrote Silence of the Lambs. Animal Rising. Animal. And then Black Sunday. What has he written anything else? I assume so. Is he still alive? I, I believe so. He's like yeah. 80 or something. Yeah, he's 80. Kari Mora. Fair enough. That's tw- it's a new it's his newest book, 2019. His first book in 44 years not to feature Hannibal Lecter. Huh. I didn't know he wrote I'm... Black Sunday. Yeah. That's coming oh. out soon, isn't it? And then get like a Blu-ray at some point. Um I think so. I think it is out. Or it already is? Okay. Yeah. Um, He's got like a new one or something from one of those smaller vendors. No, there's nothing for it. Yeah, nobody's put it out. For a Black Sunday Blu-ray? I know I saw that somewhere. (laughs) No, there's nothing. No studio, no nothing. But you might be thinking of the Mario Baba. (laughs) I'm not, no. Yeah. Uh, there. Wait, is imprint putting it out? Hold it's like on. imprint or indicator, yeah. one of those. It's yeah. Like... Yep. Uh, they. It is probably out by now. If this, let's see. Uh, because it, it's 2020. It got announced. Yeah, this is so important. <laughs> imprint. Yeah, it is imprint. Yep. Uh, but there's no release date. I don't think. Oh. Is that the tiger scene? Yeah, we're at the tiger scene. I don't know if this is a real tiger. You know, I doubt it, obviously. It came out February 24th, Aaron, in Australia. All right. I assume it's a fake tiger, but still. It's a neat way to show bonding. I do. I like this scene in both movies because it's just, it's so different from other ways to get across certain kinds of emotions. And I do think Emily Watson is very good in this uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Given that she has to play like the only normal character. In it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 it's in the book. I think it's in the book because I know it's a mechanical TV show. But I do love that the film does take the time to give her a final scene. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I really liked this movie when I first saw it. Because it, it, you know, it, it shows that they were aware of the inerrant drama of their story, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, Ed Norton even gets a joke in. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he gets to have a little laugh in this movie. My uh, so I, I mentioned I saw this movie with my mom. As I mentioned on the previous commentary, she was she's a big fan of Thomas Harris's Lecter books. Um, she really likes these movies. Um, we saw this and we had seen Punch Drug Love in theaters uh, together. She was big on Emily. She had, she had seen um, Breaking the Waves and I know she's not in it, but Dancing. Like for some reason, she saw all the, the uh, what's his name? Um, 
Haneke? Is that you? Um, Michael Haneke or something? Yeah, German. Yeah. That's right, right? I think you're right, yeah. No, like, Trier, Von Trier, Von Trier. That's what it is. Oh, no, that's different. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, I mix the names. Yeah, Breaking the Waves is Von Trier. Von Honicky, Trier. So she's like white ribbon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, for whatever reason, they cross. Um, but she, like, it seems like in the Breaking the Waves, and I know Dancer in the Dark's not with her, but just something about, like, that vibe. But then, like, yeah, we saw Punch Drug Love in this movie. She she really liked Emily Watson. She likes, there's something about, like, her general, like, look that she was in, mm-hmm. like, when, when there were movies coming out featuring her, um, she she was more interested uh, in, in seeing like what those films were going to be, but she does fit into that role with her and like seventy and um, what's the other one? Um, Samantha what's, Morton. Yeah, I was about to say, is that Minority Report? Minority Report, Samantha Morton. Yeah, yeah Samantha Morton. Yeah, I would say the same. Yeah, same era, kind of same. It makes me wonder, like, I wonder, I wonder if, oh, yeah, in the Gata Davida. I wonder if because of the rise of true crime, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but have we really not, I feel like, you know, Silence and the Lambs and Seven are kind of the two movies that people feel that the serial killer kind of genre aped from, one or other or both. Have we not really seen anything since those two that's a new standard? And is it just because true crime itself has just become a bigger thing? So people don't care about a fictional because I I love Mindhunter. I think that's true. Mindhunter, there was Zodiac. The, the thing I love Peter, Zodiac too. The th- but the I thing, don't think those Peter, are, the thing the thing that you're saying is the problem is the same people keep making them. That's that's what happened. Fincher yeah. kept doing that thing really well and it kept establishing new tableaus of how to keep accomplishing that. So yeah, you have Zodiac comes along, yeah, a decade after seven. And, you know, he uses like the red camera. He uses new techniques, even like Panic Room has like digital. I mean, it's not a serial killer thing, but there's just this very distinct style that Fincher brings to things that is a, you know, he's constantly evolving forward as far as how he's making these movies. Yeah, you know, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, too. Yeah. Dragon Tattoo. (laughs) It's what Fincher does now. Like, yeah. And my, and like you mentioned, Mindhunter. I mean, so it's, (laughs) yes. I mean, there's the other thing is, you know, true crime in general, like murder story. Like, that's, there also cbs would just make their primetime lineup out mm-hmm. of stuff like this too. yeah yeah i mean the criminal minds a few years later i'm not basically yeah. you know watch songs of the lambs every week right um, and you know but it, yes it's a network procedural but for a casual viewer the production values the acting the writing was more than enough to satiate that interest and i would um, say that okay um and yeah i mean but you're right in terms of what we started seeing and continue to see is serial killer movies that were sort of disguised as something else, like Saw, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, where the emphasis was on some other point of view other than just this rugged cop that's going to take on a serial killer. Can he stop him before she stops? The other thing is that, frankly, a lot of the popular ones were did have female protagonists, but yet a lot of the attempts to 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 the genre had male protagonists. You know, that's why the snowman was dead on arrival. Um, and, and they're based on these books that have like these recurring characters. So you have like the Alex yes. Alex Cross ones, and yeah, you have the snowman attempt with um, Harry Hole. 
And um, yeah, the little things. <laughs> yeah, the little things. Even even the Da Vinci Code is mentioned. You have you have like yeah. these. You have authors with you know recurring characters that become like this thing, and they have to solve a mystery. Sometimes it's a killer thing. Sometimes it's a more adventury type thing. Wait, is is Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Because I've only seen I've seen the original film and I've seen the Fincher one. Uh huh. Is is that whole series? Is it a, is it a serial killer? I know it's the adventure. It, it, it's, no, it, it's not. It opens up. The serial killer story has a background story, which starts opening up to more um, corruption and stuff like that, and deals uh, with the okay. protagonist the past. Side takes over as well, and yeah. yeah, like there's a lot of back. Like it, yeah. It yes, it's not focused on every time Elizabeth Salamander. Salander needs to uh, take on new serial killers. Salander. It's just different kinds of things. Oh my God. I totally forgot. I saw the other one. I saw the one with um, the The crown. crown. Wait, what's that called? The girl, the 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 girl spider's web. Spider's web. Yes. Which if I recall, it's not about a serial killer. It's not. Not It's about her long, like her estranged sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It felt like a rip. Uh, you know, unintentionally, I'm sure it felt like a ripoff of the Ed Brubaker Catwoman arc that all the comics nerds, including myself, loved in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, which a reference that means nothing to most. Never mind. <laughs> I was going um, to say about, by the way, about like the genre of like serial killer films. The other thing is, as far as establishing newer takes on them, I think also adventures more international. I think like Korea gets a number of things in this area when you with like I don't know, like Kim Ji Woon and obviously the Vengeance trilogy and stuff like that where it's not as like serial killers but there's a lot of you know in terms of how to it has a feel like them but isn't yeah serial exactly killer. it's it's doing something new in its own way and obviously it's you know in a foreign territory and they're getting imported over on occasion Memories of Murder mm-hmm. uh, which just got the Criterion release coming out now Memories of Murder which is before Zodiac and doing very much a lot of the same things Zodiac's doing. But it's Bong Joon Ho, and he's you know, doing his own thing. Uh, There's a cool one called I, H. Well, that's a lot of mid two thousand ones. A lot of Ray Fines right there. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> hot dog. We have a wiener. <laughs> we we talked over the but like the you mentioned this earlier as far as the. Um, how much empathy we're kind of given for the two three this time around or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like the Manhunter, it you know, it makes them seem like two outcasts essentially that are like getting finding each other. Uh, even though Joan Allen, I still think is she's not despite being like a blind character, it, she's still generally played as like a cool person that people, you know, like to be around. This one it does make their their romance feel more genuine, I would say. Like it yeah. feels like two two lost souls. Despite well, the he's fact that really vulnerable in this. He movie. is. He's. I mean, he is. He plays it though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a weird thing because it feels like. Um, I mean, I guess I'm. You know, I'm assuming if you're watching the commentary, you've already seen this movie. Um, I remember because I hadn't. Like I said, I just watched this this week, and I hadn't seen it in I guess twenty years or whatever. And when he meets his end with uh, with her at the house. I was like, you know, I actually guess they kind of feel bad for him and everything. And then you basically have that scene, but no, it has to go further. And I was like, well, of course it does because. Which to be fair is in the book. Yeah. The, the, this, this version of the ending is truer to the novel. than yeah. the, man, the man. I mean, the, I mean, this characterization is 
closer than novel than oh, the other so one. Oh, so this is closer. Okay, so this is closer than the book. Okay. This, yeah. And this Dollar Hyde is conflicted about his pursuit of the Red Dragon. The Tom Noonan one is going to stop at nothing to become Red Dragon. Correct. Right. That's... <laughs> There, I mean, we talked about this with Manhunter and Jason Coleman specifically pointed out how he really likes how they didn't really emphasize the painting and the dragon and stuff as much. And they just made it more about Tom Noonan's just his his own drive without being having like exterior motivations. Mm -hmm. This one really takes it to heart because we're going to see him like go to the damn museum to find the painting and eat it. (laughs) This is is that unnecessary prequel origin story feel of Dollar Hyde that's like, oh, yeah. No, I got to say, I really love, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in this version is him eating the painting. It's in the book, so. It's just, it's just very simple. It's just the actor eating this thing and I'm like, it's a credit. Yeah. It's a credit to Ray Fiennes. That's yeah. that's why. That's yeah. why it works. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I think goes for it. What we're seeing is, I, I don't like Michael Mann found something that was important to do his adaptation of the story, and is what you do when you make a film adaptation. Um, there's always that thing where you read the book once, you throw it out, and then write your script on what you remember and see what stuck. What was the important thing to you? Um, that's more speaking to what man's film was because he cuts all the mother stuff, which I think should like was the most uninteresting stuff in the book was the mother background stuff. Well, that that's the of- thing, too. Right. Man shot. He just, like shot all the stuff in the book besides the ending. He shot everything. He just cut yeah. a lot out. Right. That right. was like he just he kind of found it himself as far as yeah. what he wanted to do versus what, what makes this age. thing tick. We're making a movie. We're not reading a book like that's mm-hmm. that adaptation is just a fascinating thing to me a lot of times because I don't you know books don't work as movies as well as you know different like comics don't always work as movies as neatly as people want to think they do they don't and video games even more so <laughs> yeah video games even more so they don't and they're still figuring that out like yeah, they, they keep proving that they're they're not for this right yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah like that's the thing like the people think adaptation so easy it's not i remember yeah. i was at a um nick cage made a movie about that Right. I was it's called I was, Welcome to Paradise. I was, <laughs> oh, wait, Welcome to Paradise. The Road to Paradise. What is it? Is it Welcome to Paradise? Is that is it? it? Welcome to Paradise? Trapped in Paradise. Trapped in Paradise. Oh, Thank yeah. You. Dana Carvey um, and the movie John I haven't thought about in 30 years. I um I was at a a rough cut um screening uh before I became like critic and I was, you know, just trying before to before you were the Peter Paris. <laughs> As heard in uh, House Party. Um, but I was but, walking through uh, the, the crime alley. <laughs> um, but I went to one of those screenings where the movie's not done yet, you know? Yeah. And it was um it was Firefly. Because I was a big Josh Whedon fan, so I was excited. Serenity. Serenity. Oh, Serenity. No, you're right. Oh my god, which makes how terrible of a fan I guess I am. But um I'm in line. You lost all the brown coats just then, Peter. <laughs> uh, I was not a brown, yeah, I guess. <laughs> But I, um, I was in line and the people, you know, I start talking to other people and they were huge Harry Potter fans and they hated, I'm going to Brandon's thing. They hated Azkaban, which was my favorite one because it was not exactly like the book. There's like, nope, there's too many changes. Well, I was like, well, that's the best one as a movie. Like, but yeah. So some people are very, they really don't want you to change at all. Even if it doesn't work as well as a movie, they just want it to be like a book on tape experience. I can understand well, I, it if you're like a massive fan at the time and you just saw two Christopher 
Columbus movies that are balls long and you're like, oh, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I love, I love Ask. I'm assuming you guys like Azkaban, I would assume. I like well, that Koran guy's going them. places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here it is. He's about to take the leap. Oh, he has to get rid of her um, first. Oh, he's got to knock her out first, right? <laughs> yeah. Stop breathing on this, oh, sir. Days, days. <laughs> Come on. Is he carrying that all the time? Just in case he needs to billy club somebody? Yeah. yeah. You don't? I do. <laughs> in but... this climate? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get your heel into the shoe, and you know, I like how he know. has one. Like these are elite, like I mean, police can't use those. I anymore. keep mine at home mostly because I just use it to put my kids to sleep. Mm-hmm. This is nineteen eighty nine ish, ninety ninety one. So oh yeah, so police would still mean, have those. Yeah. Oh no, he's ripping it. He's yeah. Again, you're I right. How quickly he shot that this, out. This is just the, going uh, for it. You know, like tribute yeah. to Jason goes to hell. It's made of sugar glass, Scott. So it's just really scrumptious. <laughs> It's not what it looks like. By the way, I like his clothes right there. I like this nice little. He's a very handsome man. It's seat. like a nice brown shirt with the a blue tie and the jacket. Like it's a nice combination he's got going. Well, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's not. He doesn't kill anybody. Like okay, fine. <laughs> you think that, but yeah. yeah well, you know, as I like Cool J said, Mama said, knock him out. So. They're down for the count at least. Yeah, the most 80s stuff is just watching, you know, convex TVs. <laughs> like that's the Which were still around at this time. It wouldn't be yeah. abnormal yeah, to see. Yeah, it's not abnormal, to, but they're on like trays and stuff. I don't know. Kaitel is in this a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm watching it. It's like he certainly earns his screen time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, you'd think Kaitel would bring something more interesting than like Dennis Farina, but Dennis Farina is like, Way better. <laughs> I mean, well, General. yeah, you're you're not wrong. Uh, and that movie, I mean, it the procedural aspect is so much there. And Farina's, you know, an actual cop, so mm-hmm. like, like right. he's he's bringing that like world weariness to it. I don't, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, I, I tell seen some shit, so I don't know. <laughs> it just feel you know, watch this movie. It just feels like everybody's like held back just a hair. You know, like everybody's like, God, I can't just freely go through these scenes or just bring something interesting to it. It's like hang on like maybe the last movie felt too over the top and that was part of a mandate i wonder what the dealer dino de Laurentiis factor is in all of yeah. this like yeah you were saying like yeah don't make it like manhunter jokingly but like i wonder if there is a kind of guidance as far as how to make this just like appealing mm-hmm. well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was a, a very intentional attempt to make it a conventionally crowd-pleasing you know Action thrill, not action, but you know, a crowd pleasing thriller again. You know, not to be a broken record, but Incredible Hulk of 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 the Hulk. It's it's not um, painfully average, but it is in the average category. It is, ag- it is aggressively mainstream in a way that right. Manhunter was not. Well, because it's the Ratner of it all. You again, you had yeah. movies that were directed by Michael Mann, Jonathan Demi, and Ridley Scott. <laughs> right. So I mean, like the 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 trajectory there is like Brett Ratner. All right, and, and <laughs> it's Ratner trying to sort of J.J. Abrams it and make it Demi like. Exactly. Yeah, there's no flavor. Yeah, there's it's just yeah, it's trying to ape a thing, and he's not Jonathan Demi. <laughs> he's not Ridley Scott, so mm-hmm. you're not going to really get anything there. And the actors, I don't necessarily need to think they need like a fire lit under them to get going, but I don't think, which is weird because I do think Ratner, 
his strength seems to be getting good chemistry out of his actors. And I mean, you know, the people yeah, that he does, need, I agree. The people that need chemistry in this movie have it. Ray Fiennes and Emily Watson work together. Uh, Anthony Hopkins works with everybody. So I mean, but yeah, it's just it's that there's not a. You know, I, I don't think he got everyone together and was like, we're going to make the most ambitious Hannibal Lecter movie of all time here. <laughs> like, No, but I will say to Brandon's point, it's interesting. Um, Brandon, Brandon and I were earlier talking about the notion of like how Anthony Hopkins approaches acting, what Brandon is saying, like a lot of British like actors do. And to what what we kind of see is kind of a pretentious version way that Norton sort of can but it's interesting because as a, I think for all of us who are like big movie fans, I think we, even though I, there's a ton of like movie mainstream movies we love, I think most of us veer to the side of, we want someone um, like a Michael Mann who's putting his own kind of flavor or whatever to a material instead of going, I'm just going to give you this meat and potatoes thing, which is different than it sounded like Brandon, you were saying that you kind of like Hopkins being like, you know, this is a job. I'm here to do a job. I mean, technically for this, for Bratner, this is a job. He's doing a job, but yeah. none of us seem to like this the same way we do the Mayan movie. But there's a difference between acting and directing that I'm of that I'd be going for. That'd be two different things here. But I mean, th- I think your average person would think this is probably a solid, pretty good movie. And I, yeah, they probably, probably. Yeah. People like, like it over, over Manhunter. I would say it's because it's safer. Um, it's not being strange. It's not taking you in a weird direction. It's consistently just what it is. It, it's, it's wildest side is when it shows flashes of gore. Like that's. Frank Whaley sighting, by the way. Just, I mean, like, I mean, one big, big, huge difference is the music. Like the score, mm-hmm. I have no, I, like, I know we're watching this without volume. I just saw this this week. I don't even remember what this score is. I absolutely remember the man. <laughs> yeah. The man, like, I, M- Michael Mann's music, the way he uses, you know, pop music and score. I absolutely remember that. Well, you remember scenes, you remember sequences, you remember Peterson deliveries. Like, it's all there. Here, you're just like, uh, vanilla. Like, I, I <laughs> it's, it's, it's especially funny because it's Danny Elfman, and like when he's not doing Burton or he's not doing someone that's more, you know, that's going to push you really in the visual department. It's just wallpaper. We're listening yeah. to Danny Elfman. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it's just it's not doing anything, yeah. which is it's weird because it's like his Boom. name is seems very distinguished when you see Danny Elfman did the score, but it's like, all right, <laughs> it's just like, yep. He, he made music like that's kind of what we got. Although this is wait, did you say this is 2002? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This, when he did the Spider Man, I actually like his score. And isn't this Spider Man? Well, when he the, worked with certain people, he, when he uh, works with Sam, Sam Raimi again. Right. Yeah, like the Spider Man score is fantastic. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm all, I'm actually not a huge fan of Spider Man score, but I think oh, what? Fun. Oh, I like oh. it in two more where they fought <laughs> when they when they they broke up for a while. <laughs> well, two's also a better movie. I mean, but it's still yeah. Well. It's the kind of thing with Avengers where it's like yeah, when I hear it, I recognize it. Doesn't mean I have to like it. That's kind of where I am with Spider Man <laughs> and Avengers for that matter because I don't think it's a very good score. But as far as this goes, yeah, there's the, the distinct choices being made here. They don't amount to much by comparison to something like a man film, which is more striking. But yeah, Brandon, you're exactly right. There's a lot of people that like this movie a lot. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to say they like it more than Manhunter as much as people just not haven't really with... seen Manhunter. Like right. it's just not, it's not a, it's a popular movie to people like us. Well, now and... it's hashtag old movie too. So yeah. it has that going for it. Yeah. It's, be, it's before 1990. 
Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, my actually, I will say, my and girlfriend. Of my girlfriend its time. Loves, she, my girlfriend, loves Criminal Minds and a lot of this kind of stuff, SVU, and she grew up watching because she was younger when this came out, and she really liked. When I told her I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch Red Dragon because we're going to do a commentary. She's like, oh, Red Dragon, fantastic! And I was like, really fantastic? Like, okay, um, but yeah, she really likes it. She thinks it's she's seen it many times. Probably in cable and everything. Because it works as a conventional mainstream crime drama. Like it, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that as far as what it's doing. But like I I wouldn't be surprised if someone's like, well, what are my favorite crime movies? You know, Seven and Red Dragon. Like I get it. I get I get where that comes from. And it's also that like perfectly fine waiting for it to come on DVD type movies. As well. yeah. Like that's <laughs> perfectly <laughs> I mean, it's no Hannibal Rising. So. Yeah, right. You know, I've never seen Hannibal Rising. It's the only one I have not seen. <laughs> Which I mean, I've heard it's terrible. Given the amount of time between it coming out and us doing these commentaries, it feels like we haven't seen Hannibal Rising either. (laughs) I imported that thing from Germany. Cannot wait. I am going to rent it (laughs) or maybe buy it. Give it. I own the entire collection. (laughs) Although that'll 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 end when the Clary show comes out on Blu-ray DVD. Because I I don't I don't have the uh, shelf space for a Hannibal Rising to so like just for me to sit there for five minutes. Like where the fuck where do I put this? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I was just thinking. So this whole thing right now is a ruse. But he's it's. It's a ruse where he has to somehow assume that she would escape to be able to tell the tale. Yes, that's yes. important. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge that's a huge thing. She's blind. She could absolutely die here. She might not get out. Like I mean, he's not necessarily counting on it. It's like ideally this goes my way, and yeah, she lives. I get the fuck out of here, and whatever. And she only the dumbest members of the audience buy it. Yeah, and if, if she doesn't, if she doesn't live. Uh, well, at least I got a body there to like seem like I got something going on. Does not showing gore and stuff throughout this movie help this moment? No, but I but, but I, I, I will I will say this. Let me say this. I'd rather I'd rather because Emily Watson has a very fairly pale face. Yeah. I think they use that to their advantage here, where the blood splatter on here is very distinct. And I'd rather see that than, I don't know, like a shotgun blast to the fi- Also, you can't see it because that will ruin the mystery. That's what I meant. But like having not shown a lot of violence like that up to this, you're like expecting not to see a big gory head explosion. And then she finds the remnants on the ground. So it's kind of in, it kind of in t- it's step with what we've seen before. It's a, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, um, we're playing down the fact that we saw a man burning alive in a chair earlier. <laughs> I mean, there, there was some stuff but that that's not, in that's not bloody, though. No, it's yeah. not. But I mean, you're a horror guy. I mean, I think general audiences that see some of this stuff, they're probably not used to seeing a man in a chair burning yeah. alive. I guess they that's saw a manhunter, they are. But yeah. well, also up to a point. But they didn't. You know, mainstream <laughs> R rated pictures, even mainstream horror pictures, usually had one or two gore highlights. Um, That's a fake you know, explosion. <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah, of years. Saw would change everything a couple of years yeah. later. When we, the grindhouse stuff came back. Saw and hostile. Uh, hostile, et cetera, et cetera. Before that, you know, you'd watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie and there'd be the gore highlight. You know, maybe in part five, it was when the one girl gets her intestines fed to her over dinner or in, you know, part three, it was the puppeteering that the kid gets his uh, yeah, arteries clawed out, but you know it was violent. It was bloody, but it wasn't. It was different. 
I mean, if anything, I would argue this is maybe an over an overcorrection for Hannibal, even though yeah. the thing that people talked about in Hannibal was Ray Liotta eating his own brain. I mean, there's so but even then they're like, well, we went pretty extreme with that one. Let's tone it down this time around for whatever reason. We just well, I, again, I do love this scene. It, if for no other reason than it's a lovely character moment that doesn't need to be there, but still is. This is her. Oh, I agree. I mean, she's and straight out of the book, too. Yeah. This is her Tom Hanks, Captain Phillips scene. Yeah. It is. It really is a nice moment because they people mm-hmm. get to talk normal to each other, and yeah, Norton makes a little joke, and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of two scenes of Emily Watson this year in a hospital after a horrible accident's taken place. <laughs> <laughs> And the punch drunk love one is sadder because he, <laughs> because he left to take care of evil Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I wonder if this movie does increase because Scott, if Scott Glenn is in it, like I wonder if there's like a significant improvement, like just by having him back. I wonder what the chemistry yeah. between the two is like, like it's... Scott Glenn's more of a method guy, if I'm not mistaken too. Yeah. So I guess yeah. He... It's a d- completely different energy than Kaito. Like, yeah, yeah. Scott Glenn he's just not, he's, entering he's the not, screen, you feel Brooklyn. like he's a villain, no matter what he's, you know. Scott Glenn could play like Superman or Captain America, and you'd still be suspicious of him. Yeah, there's a simmering <laughs> tension there where, where Harvey Keitel, he's just he's a Brooklyn guy, you know. He's, he's a... Even as Punctious Pilot, he was a Brooklyn guy. Oh yeah, that's that's why that movie rules. Yes, specifically why. <laughs> there's some other good stuff in it too i guess but it's mainly because of punches pilot and he's a ginger like a ginger yeah. brooklyn punches pilot yeah that's great i'm being completely serious by the way having just like recently watched it like last oh no year, no that last, movie last rocks, yeah. it does rock but it's but part but hard carving cartel is really good in that movie despite the fact that he's like mm-hmm. oh ancient times sure i'll play with myself like why not <laughs> hashtag my my jesus which is honestly, I, I've said this many times. I prefer it that way. I don't need a fake Roman accent in an old movie to like make me feel like you're older. Do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's more that's more fun to me. It's like Kubrick when he did that uh, French soldier. Uh, what's it called? Path of Glory. Path of Glory. He's like, yeah. Everyone's are, everyone's just are you English? You're gonna yeah. you're gonna go to the theater. You're gonna hear it. It'll be dubbed in another country in their language. And Why? that's a drama. <laughs> That's a drama, yeah. though. Like, I think of, like, recently, like, Death of Stalin, where the joke is the fact that they are all English and, mm-hmm. and American, not doing fake Russian accents, and it works. But, yeah, give me those dramas. They're, like, Hunt for Red October, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, they're I do, I do like that thing that they do in Hunt for October and Valkyrie, where they talk in the respective language of the first, like, two minutes, and then they just stop. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you, you get give what's the going close on. up, and then the yeah. back, and... Anyway, we're getting to this ending now that is like the book. <laughs> like he yep. immediately sees the glass and it's like, oh, I got a dollar hide on my hands. And dollar hide's like, I am not going to hide this. Apparently, I'm going to use the glass from this mirror that I saw right when I walked in the door. It's funny how the book is very, I don't know about conventional, but it certainly plays in a Hollywood friendly type of way as far as how to write. Oh, this. yeah. Yeah. And the, in this movie, very much fits that tone. It's like, yeah, of course you need an ending like this. You need Rule Graham to do something cool, not just watch a house blow up and assume that his case is closed. Well, and uh, Silence has that, but with Lecter's Escape, which comes right before the finale. 
Need very Hollywood types. Yeah. yeah. Or he just hates mirrors. That's right. It, well, that's, I mean, we well, use the mirror to put in their eyes. I, yeah. I know. He just needed two mirrors because he walked in the door, did one, then he did another one up here. And he's been waiting there for like 20 minutes, being like, your father's going to come here any second. I know it. No, that's the right thing. Yeah, it's kind of nah, carpet's finished. <laughs> <laughs> I my issue here is like this is the problem with not having a very active Will Graham in this movie, right? Like, I get what you're doing in this scene; it's right. working, obviously. But did we get enough of like Ed Norton being a, like the guy that knows how to do this kind of thing in a moment of crisis? No, right. It's really, it's really to show that we, he read that line, filthy beast in the book five seconds ago or whatever. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's all like, it's, it's all kind of told and not visual. Like you never sense in this movie that this guy becomes the killer or puts himself or like does a method thing yeah, to put not, himself as the killer. He's not the empath that we know yeah, Will like, Graham to be in the other stories. Like versions. he gets so deep in it in Manhunter, there's the alternate ending where he shows up at that prospective family that Dollar Hyde was looking at's house and is just like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what are you doing? He's just like, I don't know. And it's like, well, I, I think here it's more of just, you know, a Hail Mary pass because there's, you know, it's the only play he's got. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm not saying I need like a generic scene of him yeah. doing this beforehand, but at the same time, uh-huh. there, there is a way to make that feel like a thing that the character that's organic to the character. And I don't think the movie really does much of that because of how just not as interesting Will Graham is compared to other versions of Will Graham that we've seen. My comparison comes at like Dragon Tattoo when Salander, like in the Fincher version, where Salander goes on like a really elaborate trip where she has to play multiple different kinds of people that are all extroverts and it's like yeah. where, where did this come from yeah. like where, where's where's this person in the whole movie right where we randomly have to make her look like a conventionally attractive uh you know starlet she's she's putting on like wigs and costumes and like going to bankers and being all positive well, i like that i like yeah. that stuff. I, I in theory i like it but it just is like where did this character come from all of a sudden <laughs> in the the last five minutes of this movie before she throws her stuff in the trash can and walks away and it's a cool ending <laughs> anyway let's get rid of this guy Boom in the head. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. She need a couple more training scenes to show me that I could buy into that. <laughs> Where did right? she get her powers? What kills me, especially because of how much of a powerful character she plays in like weeds and other things, is after she shoots this man point blank in the head, she's immediately wailing and crying. <laughs> it's like okay. That's uh, the book. She's much she's much tougher. And I don't think Will Graham shoots him up and is like, oh, finish him off. I think she straight up. Yeah, she's yeah, the one that the gets book, it. And she's yeah. told about it. Like, she's just like, she's mad at Jack Crawford. Like, you have brought it all to this, and now it's affected me, like, mm-hmm. like to this. Like, I've killed a man. She's pissed. It reminds me very much of the film I watched last night, Kill List, the Ben Wheatley's film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, I had not, which I had not seen before. The better uh, Serbian film. It, uh, 
it uh, it has a moment that feels very much like that involving the wife who does not cry uh, in her time of need. Um, yes, the movie rocks, yeah. by the way. It's really dark and disturbing, but uh, I was. Oh, I know. It's, yeah. This this bothers me right there. He's throwing away. Like, isn't that a huge deal to have some kind of letter from Hannibal Lecter and he just tosses it for some reason? Well, I'm like, well, but he's not well, to sell it. I no, not it. to sell it. I just. <laughs> I just meant in a in the notion of like, look, this is big deal that you got this letter from. No, no, we've talked about we've talked about this. Like the the relationships Lecter has to these various cop characters is different throughout each film. We've talked about that in the other. This scene sucks. Yeah, it does. Sorry. With, with Will with Will Graham, they are like, even if there's a respect there to some degree, they pretty much hate each other. They don't want anything. They don't want to be part of their each other's lives. Where compared to Clarice. They are very intensely interested in each other uh, to whatever whatever avail uh, that might come to. But she will keep those. She's the one that's going to read that kind of letter or whatnot. She's going to keep. I guess. Yeah. I know. I meant it more from a legal point of view of like, can you legally throw that away? I mean, wouldn't they be like, dude, that's in jail. What what does he need? What's he going to prove? You wrote me a letter. You're guilty. Like, what is that going to do? He's already knows. <laughs> Although, you know, I just realized technically- he's in jail for life. Like, what else is going to do to him? I mean, I guess yeah. he's or in he- the lowest part of that prison. <laughs> you could also argue that that's really just a copy of the letter that the have <laughs> the real letter, and they just gave him a copy to go. Oh, he wrote this to you. Or, I mean, yeah, I guess that's it's mail. What is he going to do with it? <laughs> um, frame it in his people that hurt me file. <laughs> <laughs> people that hurt me. <laughs> Oh my God. But yeah, Brandon, uh, to Brandon's thing. Uh, yeah, that, that ending, um, I gotta say, (laughs) I will say, I'll say this, even though I think this movie is fine. It's Uh like, you know, it's like a three out of five or whatever. I think most of us probably do not like the remake slash prequel to the thing. I actually like that ending in the thing because it's kind of the same idea, which is we're bringing you right to the beginning of the of this classic movie, and that movie's not very good. But I like that more than I do what just happened here. Oh, and I hate what just happened here. Yeah, uh, yeah what they needed that, to do is have Chilton come back. It'd be like uh, Janice Gerber. That's her. Yeah. That's her name. <laughs> Janice oh, Gerber. Awesome. Oh, it's just an interview for. A <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter. By that, but in terms of that very low bar, sure. <laughs> yeah, this movie, the thing you did it. The movie. thing re- prequel remake. You did thing, it, yeah, like, Red yeah. Dragon from Brett Ratner. Well, the other thing is just logically speaking. You know, the idea that this is supposed to take place right after the story. Like, it, the last FBI agent just had a murderer try to kill his family, and if you look at the timeline. It was like what a month ago. I don't <laughs> think Jack Crawford would be like, "Let's send another one in now." No one's <laughs> yeah. even left uh, qualified. And Buffalo Bill and uh, these two were happening like yeah, they right? currently this fucking phase one of Marvel where everything's happening the same week. <laughs> right. As we've, as I've said before, if you brought that Will Graham Ed Clarice in another Hannibal film, like I'd really want to see what that's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh. What are the odds on that? I think we talked about this. I think we talked about this, but the odds have to be a little bit high. Wait, what? Of of seeing a, a some kind of weird legacy sequel that actually does bring Will Graham and Clary Starling. But would you bring Peterson, or would you bring Norton, or would you bring more, or would you bring Foster? Well, you'd bring. Well, you'd, you'd have you'd to bring back Foster. Up, 
the the Brinks trucks would have to be pretty big to get to Foster. But what I'm, if I'm sure you did bring Foster big... and Brian Cox? <laughs> oh, Foster, Brian Cox, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> no, you know, we get all the Dude, random. Every, somebody from each one. Yes, well, I guess it's. Well, who owns who owns Lecter? Is it just the 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 Laurentis estate? I believe so. Yeah, but they don't have uh, Silence of the Lambs anything. So. They Which is why on Clarice, whenever anyone's about to mention Lecter, they get like buzz, a buzz, you know, a electric shock. That'd yeah. be very funny. <laughs> Wait, I thought the Clarice. Wait, I saw the pilot. I thought the Clarice show it's is all about very Buffalo. Much, it's very no. much the world of Silence of the Lambs. Yes, yeah, Silence is, of the Lambs, not Hannibal Lecter. And you can only have Paul Crenn. If anyone made Lecter on the show, they get shot. It's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but um. I, I I mean, Aaron, are you saying in the world because we know this the success, the relative success of you know, look at um Halloween, modest budget to the Star Wars, the sequel trilogy. Yes, I can see a world where you reunite Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Are you saying why not throw in Will Graham? <laughs> like, well, sure, I guess so. I'm like, saying, yeah. I'm saying feasibly, if you want to give it a hook. That would be a way uh, to do it. So they're working together on a yeah. For whatever reason, you bring in those. It's I I can, <laughs> you know. It, the thing is, these are actors that are that that like their job too much. <laughs> like so, Jodie Foster's not going to do that. William Peterson not going to do that. <laughs> so it's like it's never going to. Even Edward Norton I mean, probably not going to do Foster that. Jodie Foster wouldn't come back for Hannibal. She's probably not going to. Do you think that they offered her a lot of money for Hannibal and she said, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. that's why that's exact. That's yeah. she, she, she would have made the most money ever if she did it. And she still said, no, wow. and more so she basically pulled the Keanu Reeves move with speed Two. I'm assuming they, they offered him a lot of money to do speed Two, And he said, no, they did. They must've. Yeah. yeah. Like, he said, I'd rather tour with my rock band. And the yeah, year before the movie came out, everybody said he was an idiot for doing that. Then uh, after the movie came out, he's a genius for doing yeah. that. It wasn't. What, did his girlfriend die around that time too? That yeah, yeah. was in that yeah, scene. That might, yeah. uh, but I think he also just saw the forest for the trees. He was just like, yeah. no, I don't want like, it. If Sandra you Bullock. reunited Sandra Bullock and Keanu for another speed, I'm sure that would get some yeah. people. I, 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 you know, I'll get schedules, money. I don't know, but. I don't get how the people working on John Wick 4 aren't trying to get, you know, Sandra Bullock and or Winona Ryder and Carrie Ann Moss back in the sandbox. So, so Aaron, what you're saying is uh, Florian, who, who's the person who made the father? Florian, Florian Zeller. Florian Zeller missed his opportunity to, to end the father with, um, because he can't, because I mean, the whole premise of that movie is he's, you are sort of, playing with different actors playing sort of so you're saying jody foster could have showed up at the end and he could have been like who are you but yeah that'd be such a great in joke i guess <laughs> <laughs> but he missed florian he missed it he missed his opportunity. i'll say i'll say this if anthony hopkins pulls off a surprise win at the oscars i i will i won't wait very long to hear rumors about hannibal lecter reprising <laughs> his role <laughs> I don't. I don't think he's gonna win. I can hear you. Yes. So wait, wait. Yeah. So anything you'd like to see it? Would you like to see this this movie made? Do I want no. this to happen? We're no, talking. If you want to make money, yeah. and have a property, that's my, how it's done. 
if you if you said here's a trailer for this thing that actually exists, yeah, we're gonna go see that movie. But like, no, I'm not saying I need this in my life. That's ridiculous. I mean, I would love for Jodie Foster to live in a gold plated mansion, but otherwise, <laughs> if Thomas Harris came out with a secret manuscript <laughs> that was what happened when Clary Starling and Will Graham got together to like I don't know seek. Hannibal Lecter's been kidnapped, and but even he, though- he holds the clue to yada yada yada. Even and the only of, people that can find him are Will Graham and <laughs> And they've kind of Boom. foolproofed that because of the movie. And so you'd have to like, doc, you'd have to, um, what's the Shining sequel? Doctor. Um, Doctor Sleep. You'd have to no, Doctor Sleep. Box Office Spectacular, Doctor Sleep. You'd have to Doctor Sleep it as far as fudging the details between the novel and the movie being so different from each other in order to make it all work. The one-handed Hannibal Lecter. Who's now, like, I guess that he and Clarice right. had to have, they'd have to break, they'd have to have broken up. <laughs> like in this version to make that <laughs> I really like Dr. Sleep. Poor underrated movie. Poor poor box office bomb. Dr. I mean, it's underrated. Like, oh, I, just I like that. Yeah. Under, underseen. Again, it was Blade Runner underseen. 2049 all over right. again. Underseen. You're right. Because I think you know, most people I know like it. Yeah, people overspend it. That director's cut's dynamite. Movie. Yeah. That director's, director's cut's cut. great. Director's cut's the version I was thinking of, but yeah. yeah. All right, so we've talked plenty about Red Dragon. The movie's been over for a few minutes now. <laughs> so to wrap this thing up. <laughs> so, We're halfway into Hannibal Rising already. To wrap this up, when can, where can people find more of you guys online? Let's start with Brandon Peters. Uh, the Brandon Peters Show is my podcast. You can go to thebrandonpetersshow.com. Anywhere podcasts are found, I have a YouTube channel for it too. And you can find me on social medias at Brandon4KUHD. I also write Blu-ray reviews for whysoblue.com. Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you online? Uh, Forbes.com, uh, Google some variation of Forbes, Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth. I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson, and that's basically it. Peter Paris, we're going to be able to find more of you. Um, my social media is uh, Pajamo with an O. And then um, I also like Brandon Wright for Why So Blue, although t- lately I've actually been focusing more on video games. I can't remember the last time I did a movie. Um, and next next month is the new Resident Evil, so I'm quite excited. Waiting for your chaos walking review. (laughs) Terrible. That was worse than this. Worse than Red Dragon. You can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at wheelofentertainment.com and Wise to Blue, of course, for mainly Criterion reviews. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. You can find more episodes of this podcast at iTunes, Audio, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you can find our show. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, every, you know, all the socials, and they're all tagged with everybody else's stuff in these episode descriptions. But I do want to thank Peter, Brandon, and Scott for joining me for this Red Dragon commentary. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. One more. Next, next month, guys. One. Next month. Long have I waited. The first internet commentary for Hannibal Rising. <laughs> <laughs> is it the first supplemental feature period or is there actually stuff on that disc uh, oh. I'm sure there's a two hour making of uh, but yeah we're going to get into going deep on a movie that definitely exists and uh, that's going to be what that is and I'm sure we'll have a great time doing it but I do thank all the listeners for sticking with us with these uh, Hannibal commentaries they're certainly fun to do uh, but that is going to do it for this time so until next time and next month when we get to that Hannibal Rising commentary uh, so long and goodbye Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. 
Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.